I know. <laughs> I know. This is going to be a show tonight. Good it show. Is. Good show. Good show. It's our Valentine's Day special with David Essel. And I, yeah. So good evening, everybody. And, and uh, I am Gina B. And the place to be is here with my beautiful co-host. Mama D. Every Thursday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And just, just saying that if you are listening to this show, on any of our anchor venues, Mama, what are they supposed to do? They need to go over to uh, try that one again. They need to go over to YouTube and subscribe to the so Fox Den with Gina B and Mama D. Just put in hashtag Mama D hashtag Gina B. You'll find us. Okay. And you go there. You hit the subscribe button because you're gonna want to stick around for us. Also, we have pop up shows that we don't announce, so you'll like those. And Hit that bell so you get the notification when we do go live. And if you don't do that, I'm going to find you and I'm going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But we do have a very good, a very uh, special Valentine's Day show for you tonight. It is for our lovers, our uh, relationship people, whether you're, you know, married, dating, whatever. Um, Finding out the new story, new love of your life. All those things. So I will play a brief little video. As soon as the video is over, David will be with us and, and buckle up, people. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to the Fox Den. Tonight we have David Essel. He is a number one best-selling author of 10 books. He is a counselor, master life coach, international speaker, and minister whose mission is to positively affect 2 million people or more every day in every area of life. He was here in the Fox Den prior discussing his number one bestseller, Focus, Slay Your Goals, The Proven Guide to Huge Success, A Powerful Attitude and Profound Love. Tonight, for Valentine's Day, we are talking about some of his relationship books. Of his books, Angel on a Surfboard went number one bestseller in three months, a mystical romance novel set in the Hawaiian Islands, which offers the six keys to deep love. Tonight, we are talking about two of his books, Love and Relationship Secrets That Everyone Needs to Know, and 50 Plus Flavors of Erotic Love, Leaving the Vanilla World for Ecstasy. Los Angeles publicist T.J. Torellio says that this book is Fifty Shades of Grey meets Therapy. Not only do you read stories of how David's clients revived their love life, eliminated pornography, ended all affairs, by following his teachings they were able to reconnect at the deepest level, and yes, even a spiritual connection with their partner. Celebrity Jenny McCarthy says David Essel is the new leader of the positive thinking movement. Also, David's work of 38 years was highly endorsed by Chicken Soup for the Soul's late Wayne Dyer. He is verified through Psychology Today as one of the top counselors and life coaches in the USA and is verified through Marriage.com as one of the top relationship counselors and coaches in the world. So we ask, would you like to experience deeper love? Would you like to experience a more powerful and emotional connection with your lover? Are you single? Would you like to learn more about erotic love to prepare yourself for your next relationship? If you're a couple, would you like to deepen your sensual and emotional connection with your partner? Are you really ready for the secrets to love and relationships? Well, these are the topics of discussion tonight in the Fox Den, and we welcome you back, David Essel. 
Now there's a lot of information. Hi, David. Welcome oh my God, guys. Great to be back with you. And that was an incredible promo, my Lord. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I worked hard on that. <laughs> Whoever that guy is has done some pretty good stuff, it looks like. Yeah, we should find out who that guy is. We should get him on the show. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. yeah. All right. Um, after I'm done, let's get him on. He looks like the expert. <laughs> Uh, is, there, is there any ex real true expert though? That's the question. What was that, Mamadi? I, I said, is there any real expert on the subject? That's the question. You know, honestly, it's just a bunch of people with ideas trying to find their way. Uh, that's a great sure. question. You know, and and it's interesting because in both the books, you know, we talk about and and in my counseling work, we talk about there is no one way to love. You know, what no. might work for one couple wouldn't for another, and what might seem bizarre relationship is perfect for them and it may not work for you know so yeah. we, we, we can't box people in you know we yeah. can't say this is what you should look like if you're a healthy couple now there's guidelines but there's nothing in cement and i think that's really important for our listeners and viewers to know oh yeah yeah definitely so what in that promo we did talk about the two books that are down in that corner over there uh the 50 flavors we're going to save that one for a little bit later we're going to start <laughs> with after um, nine <laughs> When <laughs> all the children go to bed, right, right. Yeah, because that is that is the, the very erotic one, and um, we're going to talk about the love and relationship one first. So um, that book, why why did you write that book, and why is it so badly needed, especially with what people are going through like right now? This is such a crucial book, love and relationship secrets that everyone needs to know, guys. It was written because eighty percent. And we prove it through statistics and studies in the book. 80% of relationships in our country are extremely unhealthy and extremely dysfunctional. Okay, that's in the U.S. not in Canada. Oh, just no. putting on this you, you know what, Mama D? Canadians have relationships and marriage down to a T. None of them need any advice at all. And you know that. <laughs> well, you know why? Uh, I was just, okay, I'm going to interrupt there. But you know why? Because in when I when I married my husband, I told him, I said, "There's no such thing, no such word as divorce in our in my family." I said, "Wait a minute, there is. It's spelled M-U-R-D-E-R." I'll just kill him if he doesn't love me. I'll just kill his ass. <laughs> but but it's true, you know. Like I don't know about you guys, but if you can think about how many couples do you know, and the hard thing is, is that everyone projects in public that they have a great relationship. Yeah. So, you know, but how many couples do you really know that have that kind of great relationship? And, you know, in the book, Love and Relationship Secrets, we give a definition of intimacy that's very different. And, and it's the secret to the 20% of relationships that are ongoing and healthy. But the secret is very difficult. It's filled with bombs, landmines. It's filled mm -hmm. with everything you think you need to avoid for a healthy relationship. But it's the only way to get there. And yeah, our yeah. definition of intimacy is 110% honesty between two people. Yes. Period. Yes. You know, people ask, you know, well, like a man, you know, what turns a man on? They'll say lingerie, stockings, whatever. You ask a woman, <laughs> they're going to say on a time. Suit and tie, yes. Honesty, honesty. Yeah. yeah. Fidelity, honesty. What turns you on more than feeling safe and comfortable? Well, and a lot of women, you know, we, we I did a show not too long ago and women were calling in saying, just get the guys to do dinner once a week. Get the guys <laughs> to do laundry every other week. Look at Mama Dia's choking. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> She's going, fat chance that's ever going to happen. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> no, what did he do one time? <laughs> you know, but 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 why is it so hard to be honest? You know, and I'm going to yeah. tell you why. Within the first 60 days of dating someone, if you're in an honest relationship, you already know if it's a solid match for life or not. Mm -hmm. If you're paying attention and you're being really honest about what you desire and what you're looking for, you will know within 60 days if this is the person. You know, I, I just worked with a guy this afternoon who had met someone, fallen in love. Now, he had been a previous client, so he had a huge edge on most people. So he had fallen deeply in love and it was only 60 days or a little less. It was about 45 days they had been dating. And the woman was talking about, oh, my God, you know, I live just a little ways away from you. It'd be great to live together. So she's already going down this road in 45 days of, you know, pushing the envelope. Mm -hmm. So he says to her, well, you know, the most important thing to me is integrity. The most important thing is honesty. The most important thing is if you say you're going to do something, you follow it through. And of course, she's going, oh, my God, you're exactly what I'm looking for. And three times within the first 45 days, she broke her word. She lost integrity. Okay. And he ended the relationship today. Mm -hmm. And it's the healthiest thing he could have done. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. someone cannot have integrity, if you're holding back in anything whatsoever, you know, you, you, you're, you're a closet smoker, you're a closet drinker, you're a closet spender, you're whatever you are. Mama D's going. Spender. <laughs> I don't smoke it. anymore. Spender. No, okay, Spender. All right. No drink, no nothing. If you want to eat anything wrong, I just don't. <laughs> I don't no. do wait, wait, let's get Bob in here. Let's get some truth sayers here, right? <laughs> so, so what we, you know, what he said was, is that I don't care how gorgeous she is to me. I don't care how much she loves to laugh at my jokes. I don't care how much compatibility we have. And they had amazing compatibility, sexually, yeah. emotionally, spiritually. Everything was lined up, except for the most important thing. Yeah. Is that she would say, he'd go, hey, you know, in our relationship, I would like to do X. In our relationship, I, I, you know, this, is, this is what I would like to do. Sorry. One okay. quick second. That's See that, that comment there? Right That's there. Bob. That's her boyfriend. Oh, That's hey, Bob. Said. She said she's perfect. He just rolled his eyes. <laughs> I knew there was a truth sayer around here. So <laughs> Bob, we appreciate your input. <laughs> but, you know, like he said, listen, it, it, I ask you if you want to do acts and you say yes. And then the day we're going to do it, you say, I changed my mind. And then I ask you if you want to do this and you say, yeah. And then two days before you go, ah, I changed my mind. And then the next, and so it happened three times. And she, he said, you're committing and you're enthusiastic, but you're doing it just to shut me up. Or you're doing it because there's three times now that you've said yes, when really you meant no. And that, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. And her response was, well, the last couple guys I dated, it worked for them. Why won't it work for you? And he or said, that's not for me to answer. My answer to that is that, she was either manipulating them or they were needy or something because no one should be in a relationship and catch their partner three times, basically lying. That's what lack of integrity is. Yeah. You should not stay like giving someone even three chances is a push to me. I, that, yeah. that, that's no, a stretch. That's game, dude. It doesn't take three strikes. You're out. You know, first time, shame on you. Second, uh, shame on me. Second time, sh first no, time, okay. shame on you. Second time, shame on me. Cause you're, I'll let yeah. you stay away with it again. Exactly. Exactly. So now 
if you want to really find out about someone, be freaking honest. Yes. Like now, I don't mean be honest talking about your past crappy relationships. That's called gossip. I, I don't need, have any interest in that. But if someone says to you, uh, I'll give you another another example. A woman I worked with is a tango dancer. And so she competes and she teaches and she loves it. So she comes to me and we're working on her profile on a dating site. And I said, what's the most important thing? And she said, well, I really want someone who loves to dance. I said, great. So make sure if that's it, you put it at the top. And then we went through all these other things. So she meets a guy, falls in love. On the very first night, she fell in love on the very first night. And the very first night, she says to him, I'm really looking forward to someone who likes to dance. And he goes, it won't be me. And she said, what do you mean? He goes, I hate dancing. He goes, I'll come and watch you. I'll clap for you. But he goes, I'll never dance. I have no interest. So she did the worst thing in the world. She dated him. Uh -huh. Her number one thing is to find mm -hmm. a guy that loves to dance. Here's well, a guy who's being honest with herself. Honest. She's not being honest. He was being honest. He did it great. Yeah. He said, I'll never dance. And so six months down the road, she's in, she comes back to work with me complaining. I said, about what? My boyfriend won't dance. I said, well, what, did he, on day one. what did he say when you first asked him? He, she said, he said he wouldn't, but I thought I could get him to. I said, that's your bad. You know, mm -hmm. you dated a guy that was honest. You were manipulative. You were thinking I can get him to change. I, yeah. can get him. I go, that's called manipulation. You know, so yeah. we've really got to get serious. If, you, if you're not in a relationship and you want a good one, the very first thing you need to do is say, Am I willing to be honest? Now, it sounds beautiful being honest. You can easily be rejected. You can easily be abandoned. You can easily be criticized just by being honest. But yeah. the great news is, like what happened with this guy, is that he's not going to waste another six months yeah. being with someone who's not a good match. Right. Well, that's what I've always said this. And I say this to Bob. You know, I can handle anything. I seriously can. I may get mad if you tell me something, something happened, something, you know, that you think I'm going to really hate or, or, you know, we, you, you don't tell me that to me is a lie. That's omission is a lie, period. Right. Sorry. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, no black, and, you know, it's black and white. It is. If you don't tell me and I find out from someone else, God bless Ooh. you. Okay. Ooh. But Probably burying I, you in the backyard. I can handle anything. I seriously can. You know, yeah. and I know a lot of people are like that. You may get mad. You may yell a little bit at the beginning if it's, you know, a horrible thing. You know what I mean? But then, okay, you know, give the person that to process yeah. it, process yeah. the information, and then decide. You know, yeah, but not everybody's like you. There are people that that say that, and, and I have I, a, mean that. I have two. Oh, I have I two <laughs> relationships in mind for this show. I have a friend who says that. She says to her better half, she says, just tell me, you know, if, you know, you trip and fell and your lips sucked onto somebody else's face, Bob's keeping his lips in, you know, <laughs> love you, Bob. Um, if you have that, tell me. I'm gonna and so the, the boyfriend did. He said, look, you know, I was drunk and da, da, da. And she's like, they had that argument. They had that, you know, falling out type of thing. And, but they still said they were going to, you know, try and see if it'll work and yada, da. Because he was honest about it, but she kept coming back every time things would sort of like everything would go fine, then it would dip down the relationship. Then she'd come back with, "Well, you remember when?" Mm. You know, I don't know. And so that's so some people say it, but they bring it back up and bite you in the ass. I don't say that's how you're going to do it, Jim. That's that's not your way, you know. But no, one thing, 
you said like the 45 days people should get to know each other within 60 days. That works out most of the time because I have a young lady who's a friend of mine and she met this guy who's a little bit older than she was when she was a teenager. They did not have sex before marriage. Yes. Bob said yes to what? Mm. Okay. They did not have sex before marriage. He wanted. He said, "No, I wanted to be on our wedding night. I want to be all good." And he was a he was a firefighter. He had a good job. He did da, 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 da. And then they got married. You know, they had dated for like two years. It was a relationship for two years. And he waited till she was, you know, think, was it twenty one in the states? I keep saying nineteen, but you know, she waited till she was of age. They were dating for her family. You, everything was good. But then as soon as they got married. He, he flipped the switch. He turned into a narcissist. And she was such a sweet girl. She thought, I've got to stick this out. I've got to stick this out. He was, he would berate her. He would abuse her. He would not, he wouldn't have relations with her. This is before nine o'clock. Like, they wouldn't have relationships. And when he did have relationships, with her, he used it as a punishment. So, and that happened once a year because he did not like having yeah. yeah. You know, but, there's two, two things, Mama D, that I see in that scenario. Number one, you're saying she's a really sweet girl, which probably means she's super codependent. And yeah, she wasn't. Well, not, not anymore. Well, maybe yeah. not anymore. But, you know, usually super sweet people are incredibly codependent. Mm -hmm. So he could have been showing signs that that she just didn't want to see, didn't see, didn't know how to look at. Because, you know, as a counselor for 40 years, it's really super rare. That yeah. the wedding changes anyone completely. Usually they're giving signs out all along. We may not pay attention to the signs. Listen, mm -hmm. when you're in lust and you're craving and you connect sexually, it's amazing how we become idiots. Yeah. We well, they weren't having sex before marriage. But, but, he but, wanted to, he said, no, we won't. We're gonna wait. You know, I want it to be special. Well, you know, they didn't live together. You know, she lived with her parents and he lived wherever the hell he lived. Yeah. But, you know, but so she finally got away from him and it, it took a lot. But yeah, I like but, it, you know? but listen to this. I, I have an attorney who's a client that I just helped through a divorce, a very smart woman. Um, her husband was another professional and a very smart person. And they were married for 40 years. They had five kids. And all along, she thought that she had a great marriage. And she said to me, I'm super shocked that I'm calling you. I'm super shocked that we're going through a divorce. Like I didn't realize. And so, you know, that was normal for her. Yeah. to say. I didn't know over 40 years. Okay. So then I do what I do with all my clients, guys. I take her back and I say, let's look at the first two weeks of dating. Let's just take a look. And then she goes, well, everything was fine. And I said, okay, well, here's your exercise for next week. Right about the first two weeks and come and maybe something surprising will hit. She goes, okay. The next week she goes, oh my God. I go, what? She goes, wait till you read this. The very first night, he was a football player. He was in a fraternity. He In college, he takes her to this big fraternity party. He tells her to sit in the living room, and he comes back four hours later. Dude. That was the first date. Two weeks later, she finds a letter in his campus dorm room from a woman expressing the deepest love to her to him. And so she goes, Hey, what's this? And he goes, Oh my God, I've had that forever. It's just something I hang on to. The woman dated it. It was from the week before. Mm -hmm. Now this is in two week period of time. Okay. Yeah. She kept pushing it away, pushing it away saying, you know, I know he's a great guy and all this kind of crap. 
40 years later, they're going through a divorce. And you can imagine she finds yeah. out he's been in an affair for 10 years. He has a private apartment that he never talked about. And at first she's shocked. Really? And I said, well, yeah. Why are you shocked? Right. Your relationship started out this way. Right. But see, this is the work that I love doing because everyone says, oh, after they turned 50, they changed. Or when they got married, they changed. Or when we had a kid, they changed. And sure, there's going to be changes in relationships, but not that dramatically. Yeah. People show their signs. You know, like another guy that I just worked with, he was dating a woman and he said, and he does, he's not really into travel. He said, and during COVID, he goes, I'm really not interested in traveling at all. We can't go overseas very easily anyway. And so she says, you know, you're right. So what does she do every Friday? So when are we going on a trip? And he goes, well, I told you, I'm not going to do anything until after COVID. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. We can get on cruises and we can do this. He goes, look, I told you I'm not like for the rest of this year, I'm not going to go on any kind yeah. of cruise. I'm not going on trips. I'm not. If you want to you know, drive five hours and go to Disney or something like that, I'd be more than happy to do something fun or we can fly within the U.S., but I'm not going outside the United States. Right. Next, The next Friday. Hey, I found this great cruise to Greece. The next week, I found an amazing cruise through uh, Italy. And, Take it and go, woman. <laughs> and, and it's like, so he's saying to me, you know, like, what do I do? Yeah, and, and, and he's talking to a wall. I, I know. And so you say, listen, if this is, and this is how relationships start, but we love to put a blind eye. Why? Number one, we don't want to be alone. Number two, mm -hmm. we don't want to go out into the world of dating and fight it the way it is today. So Number dark. three. It's better than having this person than no one. Number four, the purpose on earth is to be in love. Well, we're in love. It's hard. But I mean, I can come up with all kinds of excuses people use to stay in dysfunction, which is the reason we wrote that one book, Love and Relationship Secrets, because in that book, it teaches you how to deal with lovers, children, parents, friends, every relationship you could have. We tell you exactly what to do and why you screw it up. Go ahead, Gina. Well, no, these are things I printed off just from the book. Some of the pages I printed off from the book. And when you were talking about codependency before, and it was like, you're talking here about, um, can you imagine the difference if a parent can stop a child, the codependency that begins as a child, and you write about this, which is really cool. So, you know, it's like, but well, wait a second, you know, you're going yada, yada, yada. But wait a second, can you imagine the difference? If you're a parent and your child comes to you with a heart that is crushed, because at 13 years of old age, and I liked how you put that, she tries to tell you that her best friend stole her boyfriend from her. Can you, as a parent, sit in her pain and discomfort and allow her to express her sadness, anger, or rage? Most parents won't do this. Instead, they tell their children to submerge their feelings, which creates codependent young adults. And this is so true. And then, okay, instead of being able to share with mom or dad her broken heart, her parents might make statements like, honey, there are many better boys out there than Johnny. Some girls uh, will do that, but don't let them spoil your opinion of your other friends. You're only 13. It wasn't real love. You'll find love oh, later in life. Worse. But you know, don't let it bother you. Let's go get some ice cream. All right. That was the line that made me laugh. I was just like, let's go get some ice cream. You know how many people do this to their mm -hmm. friends? I mean, not only a parent child. I mean, this is, you know, your friend, because that's what we say, you know, we, our friends break up and we say, oh, there's someone better. Oh, they don't deserve you. Oh, that's this, right. oh, that. Right. So what, what, what is it that we should do 
that we can stop this behavior in a child. Okay, so I'm going to tell you guys first why parents do this and why we do it to our friends and why we do it to coworkers. Okay, we do it because we cannot handle their discomfort. We don't want to feel their child's pain. We don't want to feel your best friend's pain. We don't want to feel your coworkers' pain. See, when you sit and say, well, tell me about, you know, what happened with you and Johnny? And they go off and say, he was the love of my life. And I never needed anyone else in my life. And I was so happy with him. And then Sarah, my best friend, took him away. Right. Um, and and so we, what we want to do is say, I am so sorry. Please tell me more. Share more. What else are you feeling? Like, that's the correct way. Yeah. To do it. We should not be giving advice. Um, hold on. Grownups need to remember how they felt when they were young. Michelle, you are dead on. And and that's a crucial thing. Now, and here's the other thing. And Mama D, I saw you react to this. You can fall in love at 10 years of freaking eight. Yes. You can fall in love at eight. You can fall in love at 13. Like love isn't done by a number. Like mm-hmm. when you're 18, you can fall in love. What a bunch of bullshit. You can fall in love at eight. You know, I had a little, when I, when I was in first grade and how old are you in first grade? Like six? Yeah. Six, yeah. Six, okay. And and I'm, and this is weird that I can remember this at 65. When I was six years of age, I lived in this tiny little town called Utica, New York, south of Syracuse okay. yep. by about an hour and a half, right? And I'll never forget the vision. We lived next to a large brick house. Now, all the houses on the street were tiny, except for this one. And in that house, little Barbie lived. And at six, I was in love with Barbie. I would come home and I would see her and I would run, right? (laughs) And I'd run home. And and if I I saw that she looked at me, I'd turn the other way. Like, you know, it's like what you do. But but if, if, if anyone brought up Barbie's name, I was like wide awake. What? What did you say about Barbie? What happened to Barbie? You know, I loved her with all of my six-year-old heart. I was in love with Barbie. So when a parent says, oh, you're too young for that, you know, you are submerged. And what you're doing, and when when you're not allowing your child or your friend or your sister or brother vent, what you're doing is you're taking their emotions and shoving them down their throat. You're yeah. saying, oh, you're sad and, you, and you've just been hurt. You've just been rejected. You've just been abandoned. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, move on. Move on. Get over it. Yeah, get let's over get it. Ice cream. I mean, let's like, let's, it's like the worst freaking thing. No, <laughs> I know. And it's hard to sit in your child's pain. And it's hard to sit listening to your girlfriend. And, and, and let me mention this point, too. And the men want to fix everything. And men mm-hmm. and women, Gina, I, I'll tell you what. Women are, they are just like men now. They want to give advice to their girlfriends. They want to give advice to their boyfriends. Go ahead, Mamudi. My, my, Gina came to me and said, Bob and I are no longer together. He broke my heart. Sorry, well, I know it's not true, but whatever. Oh, I'd be like, I got my shovel. <laughs> that, tell me what you want and I got my, I will listen I and it take, it took me a long time to understand that what you're saying is important is that people don't listen don't allow you to you kind of negate their feelings when you say, oh, you know. it's like I have a, a friend who, a while back who, who lost her husband he was very sick and he died and people when when after he passed about you know six months aren't you over there now he was sick for so long I said what the, tell me who said this because I got my shovel and I got a big backyard dude I'm not you know 
It was just. It, um, I love you. I'm only. I just had to use yeah, people's it's just an example. It's just an not example. Not example. Yeah. You know, my, so my mom. It's, we just I won't bury you. I promise. Ten year, ten year anniversary of his passing. Two seven eleven is when my <laughs> husband passed away. You know, so it was ten years. I still get choked up. You know, all the time. I mean, you're not going to get over it. Yeah. Dave lost his mom. You know, and yeah, my I mean, my mom died two weeks ago. Right. And mm. well-meaning people. Now, the good news is most of the people who I hang around with know I'm a counselor and they know what to say. OK, I'm, I'm it's a little unique. You know, they've hung around me enough. They yeah. know not to do the general BS. But the people that don't know me that well, like I was in the gym and people are coming up to me going, you know, your mom's in a much better place. The mm. worst freaking thing in the world to tell someone who's lost yeah. someone is oh. they're in a better place. Then God even another angel. Um, you know, whatever it is. Now, even if that stuff is true, that does not allow the person to grieve. And yeah. if you're going to say that crap, you're going to make them feel guilty about being sad. Yeah, you're going to make exactly. them feel like they shouldn't be sad. Um, Michelle, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, it was a bitch of a death. I mean, for 11 months, dementia. Um, and my dad, they're both in hospice yeah. at the same time. Um, you know, it was a horrendous disease. I mean, just really, really it, next to Lou Gehrig's disease. I think Lou Gehrig's disease and dementia are probably two of the worst diseases for people to have yes. um, whatsoever. But like today, I walked into the gym and someone who knows my work and knows me really well looked at me and said, I am really sorry. Mm -hmm. I said, Thank you. And then she said, I know you don't need help, but if you do, would you please reach out? Now, that's a beautiful response. That's nice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not like, well, God, thank God she's out of pain. And thank God it's not 12 months of suffering. And thank God that, you know, yeah. we, as a grieving person, it's the worst thing in the world to say. Instead, shut up and say something like, can I sit with you? Yeah. Is there something at the store that you might need? Right. Is there a book that might lift your spirits or some music that I could get you? Is there something I can do? And a lot of times people are going to say no, but that's okay. Yeah, you offered yeah. it. It was great, you know, and if you're sincere in it too, and you can tell that, you can tell yes. that oh, yeah. really, truly sincere. Because, yeah, I had to do that. And and for me, losing my husband, it was tough because it was all of a sudden. He, he okay. had a heart attack and he was gone. It was, he was just, you know, 50, you yeah. know? And we had everything together. We had businesses entwined together and everything else. I really didn't get time to grieve. I had to plan a funeral, buy the plot, do this, mm -hmm. do that. I had to do everything, plus get rid of his business, sell his, yeah. business, sell his stuff, get, you know, a, a fleet of trucks, a, boats, and a yard full of boats, all this, you know, so much stuff to deal with. Yeah. People saying that, oh, he owed money. I'm like, no, he didn't because I did the books. Right. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. So don't pull that on me. I know exactly what he owed where and I paid everything off. You know, yeah. I'm not a scumbag. If he owes it, I pay it. Because a lot of times, too, they'll say, you know, lawyers will come in and say, oh, you you won't have to pay that. I'm like, no, he owed it. I will pay it. Yeah. You know? And that's that. You know, that's yeah. that's how I was raised. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, the, 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 there's the problem is mass consciousness is that, you know, no one's being taught how to help someone in grief. And as a matter of fact, you know, I, I have a grieving course that I created that we've taken people through for years and I'm going through it myself right now. Yeah. I'm taking my time. I'm going through, I'm do, answering all the questions, just like if I was a client, because I know that we all have to process grieving. 
grief doesn't go away. You, your, your partner or your mother or father could be dead for 30 years. And if you haven't done the grieving, you're still going to be in a tough space. Yeah. So we say to people, do not screw around and say, I'll do grieving in a couple of years when I'm ready. I would rather have you start too early than wait too long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where I ended up, uh, you know, and it was just like, I mean, at first, I mean, of course, at first it was just like sheer. Holy overwhelm. Yeah. And yeah. and then it was just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, you know, and it never ended. And, you know, it was tough. I mean, this one guy was actually trying to take me to court and he was actually trying to get a lien put on my house and everything else. And I'm just like, my God's sake, can you let me grieve my husband? Yeah. You know, I know what yeah. you wrote. I have all the contracts. I have all the paperwork. I went to the job. I went, he didn't even show up. He started this job with this guy. The guy never showed up. He dropped off equipment, left it in the mud, it sunk in the mud. We had to get it taken out of there. I arranged all that stuff. I designed the building. I knew exactly yeah. what was going on. It was my design that they were building. You know, yeah. I'm like, you can't tell me that, you know, it, it, it all got thrown out. But I mean, what a douche. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing this, right? Damn, it's not but a good story. To, uh, <laughs> to a, a grieving widow, you know, yeah. but now you brought up something too now in, in, in the book um, at the end about, about this, like you were talking actually about when you lost your dog and that was, that's pretty traumatic. I mean, I swear to God, this was like, this was the point that I was at because I lost my dog the year before and then my husband a year later, you know, and yeah. if I didn't have my little dog Lacey. I don't know what I would have done, but you have this cognitive behavioral um, therapy thing and uh, what do you call them? Huna, Huna, Huna bands? Right Huna bands. I, I, I wear one 24 seven. Right. Explain so, what that is and what cognitive therapy is. Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the oldest techniques in, in therapy. Um, it's outrageously effective and so few therapists teach it still today. And I have no idea why I've got all my clients with Huna bands on because the stuff really works. So um, cognitive means mind or thought, behavioral means action step, and therapy means change. So what you're saying is there's a mind or a thought that that isn't working for me. I need to apply an action step in order to see my life change. Okay, so that's what cognitive behavioral therapy stands for. Now, it's a really interesting process because at first, logically, when I take you guys through it, it won't make sense physiologically. Okay. It won't make any sense at all, but I'll explain how it works. So, and I'll use my dog Saint. So I was in a radio interview just like this. Uh, although I was on the phone, I, I wasn't on, on any kind of zoom or Skype type stuff. And, and my dog was sitting next to me, little Saint. He was a rescued uh, Italian greyhound. He became an emotional support dog. He was in the office doing more counseling than I was. People loved him. You know? <laughs> he was just, he calmed everyone down. I mean, he was just amazing. And, and so I'm sitting and I'm doing the interview on the phone and all of a sudden there was this outrageous scream and the radio host says to me, oh my God, David, what happened? And I'm looking around, I go, I don't know. And then I looked over to my left and there was Saint's head hit the ground. So he had screamed this outrageous, it was a heart attack and, it, and he had made this outrageous scream. And so I'm live on radio and I go, oh, my God, Saint, don't leave me. And I threw the phone down and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. Don't leave me. You know, I mean, he was so abused. It took me two years to get him to trust me. Yeah. And, and then the next, you know, seven years I had him, he was unbelievable. 
So I got him and started doing CPR. And my assistant at the time was doing mouth to mouth. And we brought him back for about three or four seconds. His eyes popped open. I go, oh my God, we have him back. And then he went out forever. So, I mean, I wouldn't let him go. Even when he was dead, I held him for the longest time, you know, and, and I asked her to take pictures of me holding him dead because he meant that much to me. I wanted every picture we could take, right? Yep. So the next day, I... I'm supposed to get up early to go into the office. I could not move. My heart was so heavy. It was like I was nailed to the bed. So I snapped this probably 20 times. I went through the process that I'm going to share with you guys. And it got my mind into a state that I could get in the shower. And then I did it 20 times to get into the car and then to get to the office. And I did a whole day of counseling. Then the next day it was 10 times. The next day it was five. And eventually I got to, I could get out of bed without using this. But this is how cognitive behavioral therapy works. So the very first thing is you notice an emotion or a thought that is overwhelming. It could be shame. It could be guilt. It could be insecurity. It could be grieving. It could be sadness. It could be rage. It could be uh, resentment, anything at all that's unsettling. And so the thought arises and immediately when the thought, a craving for alcohol, a craving for a cigarette, regardless of what it is that you don't want anymore. So you snap the band. Right now, you feel the snap here, but the very first place the pain signal arises is in the brain. Mm -hmm. And it's this magical physiological thing. I have no idea if God did this or whoever created us, but they did this thing where you snap it, you you feel the sting, you think it's here, but it's really here first. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see the red mark. So what happens is the thought arises. I can't get out of bed. My dog died. I really need another drink. I've got to have a cigarette before the meeting. I, whatever it is, okay? You have that thought arise and you immediately snap. And on the other side of the brain is a pain signal that matches the thought. As you repetitively snap, that thought that is unwanted starts to melt and it starts to reduce. I have a woman today and her husband came in the office and she's been filled with anxiety. And I asked her, What's the number one tool to get you out of an anxiety attack? She goes, oh, my God, David. And she lifted her arm. It's the Hunaban. This is what gets me out the fastest. So when we do cognitive behavioral therapy, it's not a permanent solution as much as it gives the brain a break. Oh, thank you. Hunaban.com. You know, it gives the brain a break. So if you do it regularly, every time the anxiety comes up, the craving comes up, the whatever it is, and you're on top of it, Eventually, the brain starts going, wait a second. Every time I crave, I have pain. Every time I have anxiety, I have pain. And it starts to diminish the emotional overload in the brain. I want to go to bed. I know. I know. I wish I had that when my dog died. Oh, my God. I think I cried more over my dog than I did my husband. I'm not kidding. But I think because I had time to grieve, too. But I just, that dog meant everything to me. They really do. unconditional love. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, she right? It's the best dog, like, ever, ever. Yeah. And honest to God, I would tell her to sit. I told her to sit and stay. She would not budge until I told her to move. I don't care. She things could be blown up and run fire around her, and she will not move. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're great. They're great. It's too bad you can't I, date one. I, right? No, we won't go there. <laughs> We'll, we'll get in trouble. We'll get taken off of you. Tito, Tito will be at my door. 
<laughs> oh my god! Hour of the show. <laughs> First hour of the show. Peter said, "Mommy, as long as the FBI, I'm not worried about it." <laughs> I'm Canadian. If the FBI's at my door. There's trouble. <laughs> there, there is trouble, you know. But but this is the cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. And if people go to my website, talkdavid.com. In our blogs, we have articles about CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. If you go on YouTube and Google David Essel, cognitive behavioral therapy, we take you all the way through the process. So, you know, now it's best to work with a professional, but you can at least begin to understand CBT by watching our YouTube channel. Yeah. You say talkdavid.com? Yeah, either David Essel or talkdavid.com. Um, if you, yeah, they're, they're both go to the same site, Gina, normally what we do is when we're on a, uh, a verbal interview, we promote talkdavid.com because it's easy for people to remember mm-hmm. if we're on a show that has what you guys have with your icons, et cetera, um, David But instead of saying David Essel, that's E S S E L, you know, we just go talkdavid.com. It's easier to remember. There you go. Okay. I get it. I get it. But if you people are listening to our anchor venue, um, any one of our anchor venues, which, you know, we have a whole bunch of them up above, um, us, go to the YouTube channel and watch, watch the show. And then you will see all the banners and all the links and everything that we're going to put in there, our cute little faces, David's cute little faces, the books that we're talking about, etc. So, you know, just, just do that. Just you'll, just you'll watch it. Totally and watch. He doesn't flinch. Yeah. <laughs> go to the, I know, not at all. I'd be like, ow, 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 ow. I'm just sitting there going, ouch, dude. <laughs> yeah. Tina and I are feeling the pain for you, David. So Thank right, you. Right, right, right. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And Michelle, so that oh. horrible. That's yes, it is. is. You know, when, when we have a client, Michelle, that's such a great point. When we have a client that has not grieved and, you know, their pet died, their partner died, their parent died, and it's 30 years later, they are in one of the worst places ever. And, you know, survivor's guilt needs to be processed within the first six months to a year of someone passing a dog, a person, because with survivor's guilt, what we're saying is, is that I should have been taken instead of that. I should have spent more time with them. I should have been more kind to them. I should have been more loving to them. I shouldn't have drank as much around them or whatever it is. What so when you don't, yep. what's that? Yeah. What a should have. Yeah, exactly. You know, so survivor's guilt comes about because we haven't processed the fact that we've got all of this crap with this person or this pet that we've never been able to share or we've never apologized for, or we've never admitted we were wrong for it. And we've got all this heaviness. So when you work through the grieving process, if you're doing a really good grieving program, there should be a section on survivor's guilt where the counselor will take you through, explain what it is, how do we move through it? You know, and you can move through any amount of guilt whatsoever. You really can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that, that I really want people to, to get, and I'm not a, a grief counselor, I'm just me. Hi, Cam. Um, never tell somebody, well, don't you think you should be over by now? There's no oh. time limit for for grief, for sadness. Just, you know, you, you let them grieve. If it takes them six months, six years, 60 years, some people never get over it. But they have their moments of good, but just let them Mama D, you know, right. the, the problem with with waiting is that you can really move through a ton of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that you, you have to find a really good course. Um, there's a lot of grief support groups that I'm, they're better than nothing, but I really think the best way to grieve is one-on-one -on -one with a professional yeah. where they can get into your specifics. When you see, you know, I used to lead grief support groups and I stopped because there were too many people that were coming in that were stuck. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to heal. They wanted to come in and complain every week that their son shouldn't have been taken at 22, that there's you know, and, and they don't want to heal. They want mm -hmm. to stay stuck in the past. So if you have those type of people in a grief support group, it's going to be really hard for everyone to rise up. Yeah, exactly. But if you're doing it one-on-one, -on -one, you can write about, you know, and we give a ton of freaking exercises because we want people to be able to move from their heart, their stomach, and their soul, everything they're feeling out into the physical world on paper. Yeah. Um, even if you waited six months, on average, it takes six months to a year to grieve appropriately. Yeah. That's if you're working with a professional. If you try to do it on your own, I swear to God, most people stop way too soon. They don't go into the hardest part of the work. And then they wonder why 30 years later, they're still upset. Yeah. I want to talk to you later about the grief counseling course. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, and the subtitle of our grief counseling course is that grieving is not linear. The same thing you said, Mama D. Like, like, let's say we have 10 sections of our grief counseling course, okay? We have clients that'll start at one, go to six, go to two, go to 10, go to four, yeah. go to, you know, and that's okay. It's not linear. You can't say, okay, week two, you should be here, you know, because yeah, yeah. people in week two aren't even ready to begin very much. Yeah. So when you're, if you're going to, you know, go to our, our site and look at our grief course, it's freaking phenomenal. But if you don't work with me, Please don't put it on your shoulders to think that you'll figure out a way to grieve or that time heals everything. Time doesn't heal a damn thing. No, doesn't. No. Time doesn't heal a damn thing. Time plus work heals. But if you just wait, forget it. It doesn't heal a thing. Um, my nephew is having a difficult time with the passing of his father. He's having anxiety attacks. That's very common. You know, it's very common for that. So what I would say is, who is he working with? Does the professional know that he's having anxiety attacks? Uh, you know, there's a thousand tools for anxiety attacks, not just medication, but we're not against short-term medication for intense grief or intense loss. In other words, I will say to a client, and I'll even talk to their doctor, is that they may need to get on an anti-anxiety medication for 60 days. And that's it. It's a 60-day prescription. It's not refillable, but it does help them through those first two months. Yeah. Or maybe they need to be on Wellbutrin, an antidepressant. And so I say, let's do it for 60 days. But here's the problem with anti-anxiety meds or antidepressants. They do nothing to heal the anxiety or depression. No, you got to do no. that footwork. You got to do what you need to do to pull yourself out of it. You can't mask it and put a Band-Aid on it. And, that's right. You know, and that's what many doctor, doctor doctors do. That's why you need a counselor. Yes. Yeah. You know, let's say. And then. In counseling, if I see that someone could really benefit from short-term pharmaceutical therapy, we will say, hey, I really recommend for 30 days to do this. And, but, but don't have a refill. You know, let's see what happens. Yeah. If you use this medication for 30 days and you're doing the work I'm giving you, you're going to be fine. Right. But it can't be one or the other. You know, like you can't just say I'm going to only take pharmaceuticals because all they do is numb the pain. They don't yes. do a damn thing to heal it. Right. Yeah, they don't find it. They don't heal the grief. The, the base of the ache, the ache, the pain. That's right. They'll 
take care of the the other things that the, you know the pain is causing but not the not the pain you have to be able to like you said express it to somebody talk to somebody That's right counsel right. But this is why I like your books. And I just want to put this up real quick. Okay. Sure. Love relationship secrets. Okay. Oops. That book there. Um, every book, there's always your, their interactive books. They're yes. working books. Your other books are working books, you know? So mm -hmm. it's not just, this is you do this and you feel that. And you, you know, I tell you this and this is the way you should be. It's not that. It's not, I had so many aha moments like, oh my God. And then you'd write, doesn't that make sense? And I'm like, oh my God, yes, it does. Right, right at that time, like you were, like we were conversing, like we were talking, you know, as you're reading, and it was just phenomenal. But I love the parts where you write. You know, you actually have to write. You actually have to do the work. You know, you, whether it's what does this chapter mean to you, or you know, what do you want in a relationship? What's important to you in a relationship? What are these things? You know, and and you bring people through it through yeah. your books and then what would be better is if you could do this like do the books like a, a workshop and get in touch with you at the same time you know yeah and what we do gina d uh, gina and mama d is that we say to our clients is that you're going to do the, the homework i give you and reading and writing in the book is one of the homeworks that's what yes. part of the homework right um Okay, so, so who Kim are you just talking about because your nephew is not would be my nephew, right? So, or, or is it on the other side? I don't know who you're talking about here. So she's saying he ended up leaving his house for a short time to move in with his mother because of mood swings and the kids were afraid. Um, okay, well, I'm really hoping that he's under the care of a professional, not just a doctor. I hope he's under the care of a doctor and a counselor. Um, you know, I have several doctors that I work with around the country with my clients, and it's a great way to to have additional support. The doctor should know what the counselor is doing and what yeah. my goal is. Right. And if he's going to do any kind of medication, I want to know because yeah. we, we do a lot of amino acid supplementation for anxiety, depression, mood. Uh, all, you know, we use a lot of over the counter uh, uh, amino acids. Some of the amino acids counteract with depression and anti-anxiety drugs. Right. So when I am working with someone, I need to know what they're taking, what the milligrams, what time of day, is it extended release? Is it not extended release? And when I have all that data, then I can say, hey, we can jump into this amino acid DLPA, which is phenomenal to boost mood. So you're not taking an antidepressant. So first thing in the morning, you're gonna take DLPA, which increases the dopamine levels in the brain and dopamine is the most powerful feel-good chemical that we have. So we have amino acid supplements to do that. Then we have amino acid supplements at night to relax the brain. And then we have other supplements for focus because if you're struggling with anxiety, depression, grief, focus is not on your side. So, <laughs> no, no. Right? And, 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 and Gina, you mentioned this, you know, your husband dies and you've got 5,000 things to do along with grieving. Yeah. So we have amino acid supplements for focus to keep people directed and in alignment. But some of those amino acids do not work well with pharmaceuticals. So I have to know all of that about my clients before we recommend what to take. Are you taking an amino acid supplement right now, Mama D? Nope. I mean, I'm eating candy, sorry. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's a dopamine booster, right? That's what that is. We'll do it again. <laughs> yeah so so that's but that's the thing that I, I i i love and appreciate about you 
is that you take that time and you'd have that care. And that's what I think is lacking, yeah. especially for our children, you know, let alone the adults, you know, you, you know, you, you're aware, you know what I mean? You can make some good decisions and you can bring that information forward. But I mean, for kids, you know, these kids are being shipped off because they're crazy. They're acting crazy. You know, they're hyper. Well, they're a kid. They're cooped up. They want to get outside and play. Right. Yeah. They're going to be a little crazy. All right. So you don't got to drug them up. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, it boggles my mind how much people just write out that pad. What else they're taking. See, that's the codependency part of it. And and the love and relationship books is really all love and relationship secrets. That's all about codependency. But we become codependent to physicians. And we go in and say, you know, our son is a little overactive, hyperactive. And they go, oh, well, right away, let's put him on Ritalin or something like that. Right. So I've got a buddy. His name is Dr. Botman Ghali. He wrote one of the best books on water and the effects of water on the body ever written. And it's called our body's many cries for water. Oh, okay, Michelle, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, definitely watch later. Um, and his, the book is called Our Body's Many Cries for Water. So I was talking to him about ADD. And he said, oh, it's, it's one of the saddest things in the world to see kids on ADD medicine because most of them don't need it. Um, and I said, what do you think they need? And he said, well, let me tell you a study we did. They took a group of kids that all were diagnosed high ADD, not average, not minimal, but all extremely high ADD. And after school, they had one set of the groups drink two large eight ounce glasses of water before they did anything. And then the other group, they just let do their thing. Within 10 minutes, the group that drank the water were sitting down, calm, coloring, reading. The group that did not drink the water were going off charts. Um, the name of my, thank you very much, Sheena. Yep. Love and relationship secrets that everyone needs to know. That's yeah. what we're talking about right now, but he's got several. So if you go, I mean, he's got a lot of books. Yeah, we got a, we got a bunch of them, yeah. but you know, so in, in our codependency, we're going, well, we want instant gratification. And so if a doctor says this, then I must, and we, we really need to research. Listen, doctors know what they know very well. And I'm not putting doctors down. And there are times that medication is needed. And I'm fully aware of that. For ADD, ADHD, bipolar, depression, anxiety, there's a lot of medication that can help. Oh. But for most part, we believe in therapy that they should be a component, a supplement, a part-time use. Now, with certain things like bipolar and schizophrenia, it's probably going to be for the rest of your life. So we're not going to say do it short term. You know, those are some serious mental health issues. Right. But yeah. but when it comes as long to as they're properly diagnosed, you know, yeah, well, thank you. And that's a huge thing, too. You know, there's a lot of people that are not diagnosed. They just go in and say, I feel depressed. OK, take this. I mean, mm -hmm. they go through a depression scale, for God's sake, you know, <laughs> um, and depending on what's going on in the world, depression isn't that bad. It might be what you need to slow down. And to see, I need to make changes. What have I done that helped create this depression? Right. What am I doing? Am I watching the news too much? I mean, we've got a ton of clients that are so depressed because they're always on social media and they're always, they're codependent to the news. Yeah. Well, I haven't watched the news since June 1st. I have not watched the Capitol raid. I have no idea what happened. I have no interest in caring about any of the political nonsense in our country. I think it's insanity. I'm not affected by it. 
Yeah, I know. Canada's got it together. We're, no, we we're all moving. We just there. don't have sexy shaman with the horns going on. It's like, hello, dude, seriously, grow up. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we, we really do need to quit being so codependent, looking for instant gratification. And we need to look a little deeper than that yeah, and say, hey. Okay, and it's okay to have these emotions. Yeah. Okay. You know, they're God given things for a reason. Fear is given to you for a reason. So not kill yourself and get yourself into trouble or get hurt. You know, fight or fight. Uh, all those things. Love is an, is an emotion that we all need, right? All yeah. these depression, grieving, thing, all these things, we need these. Otherwise, we wouldn't have them. That's right. Yes. You know, there's a lot of people that go through some deep depression. And, you know, one of them is Eckhart Tolle, um, the author of The Power of Now. You know, Eckhart Tolle's depression was so bad, he was homeless living on a park bench. And look where he is now. So you can say depression is horrible. And then we look at all these people. Like I, I attempted suicide in 1990. Obviously, it did not work. But what it did do, <laughs> but what it did do is it woke my ass up that I needed help. And so I looked at that as a blessing, you know. It, it was it was a cry for help. I failed. And the day I failed, I called every psychiatrist in town and everyone told me the same thing. We can get you in in six months. I said, you, I you, couldn't believe what I'm hearing. Right. In six yeah. months. You gotta wait yeah. six And I said, I, I'm going to kill myself. And they said, then go to the hospital. Well, I know hospitals are not ready yeah. unless it's a psych ward. They don't know how to handle this anymore. But a psychiatrist should. So I drove to a psychiatrist's office. I walked in at 4.30. The secretary said, you can't get in for three months. I said, I'm sitting down. I'm not leaving until I see him today. Thank God. And at six o'clock, the doctor opened the door and said, you're still here? I said, yes, I am. And I'm not leaving until I see you. He said, come in. I had the most incredible breakdown in front of him. He had to see it. And I had to release it for him to mm -hmm. see how serious this was. He became a life savior. He became amazing. He was an outrageous individual in my life. And he introduced me to Ina, this incredible therapist in 1990. And it took a year and a half to get me back together. But it now was. That's, that's a whole that's a whole nother ball of wax, too, with your relationship with that other therapist. What, what was the news? That she broke through and told oh, after oh, a year and a half of Oh my God. Okay, that's that's a different therapist, but let me tell you about that. And you're talking about the codependency therapist I worked with, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought that was her. Oh no, no, that no, the suicide therapist was a different one. I listen, when you want to be a therapist, one of the best ways to do it is to make sure that's you're sound. really yeah, that's coming up after our break. Oh, look at Taryn. You are <laughs> we haven't been talking about that. Yes, we are. After, after the ball break. Okay. Okay. We're going to, oh, what'd she say? Noodling and canoodling? Yep. We're going to be talking about that. I love it. Noodling, I love noodling, it. Canoodling. <laughs> but when I worked with the codependency therapist, that was hilarious. You know, um, and what it was, she was a friend of mine and she said, let's trade, you know, services. Um, I want you to help me with my relationship stuff and I'm going to help you. And I said, great. You know, so we came in and at the end of four weeks, she had, she's been writing ferociously and she finally, put her pad down and looked at me and she goes, David Essel, what? <laughs> you are the most codependent man in intimate relationships I have ever met in my life. And I looked at her and now back in 1997, the only book we had on codependency was Codependent No More by Melody Beattie, which is a great book, but it's only a tiny percentage of codependency. 
And I had read the book and I said, I'm not dating anyone who's an alcoholic. And she said, no. So let me teach you about codependency. Every relationship you had, you have saved a woman. Yeah. I said, what are you talking about? Pattern. Pattern. She goes, let's look at number one, number two, number three. We stopped at number 50. Just teasing. <laughs> but we looked at all these women that I was dating and every one of them needed to be rescued financially or they had crap relationship with their parents or they didn't know how to parent their children or they were battling with their ex-husband. And I was the savior. And this woman showed me so quick. Now, it took me a year to break my codependency. I stayed with her for a year, 52 straight weeks. But I couldn't believe as a therapist that I couldn't diagnose my own condition. And a lot of times we can't. So I realized from that moment on that I'll never date a woman to save her. Now, I have bounced backwards a couple of times because with all addictions, relapse could happen. But when I would bounce back, it would last like two weeks. And I go, oh my God, David, you're trying to date someone and save them. They have a lot yeah. of issues. And what this therapist said to me is that, what you need to do is with these codependent women, they need to be your clients, not your partner. They need to pay you to get their act together and you quit trying to save them. Right. And and that story is in the book, Gina, that yep. you know you and I are, and, and Mama D are talking about. And there's tons of story about how we shoot ourselves in the foot in relationships and we don't even know we are the ones doing it. Yep. I know. I know. Mama. I know. Mama. We'll get okay. to that hour. Right, but before we go, before we go to the break and before, cause I want to close out um, talking about this, this book. Um, cause well, there's so much more. It's still about this book quickly. What is your 3% rule of dating on the oh, scale? I love this. Okay. So the 3% rule of dating is someone, everyone should be recording this or going back and listening to it again on your guys' channel. This is crucial. So people talk about compatibility as the key to dating, and that's a bunch of nonsense, okay? And we prove it. You can have 97% of compatibility with someone, but if they carry any of your deal killers, the relationship is dead. No dancer. It is totally dead. So the dancer, the tango dancer, her deal killer was, I won't date a guy that won't dance. Just tart. Sorry. <laughs> Tell me when to queue up. <laughs> In about five minutes. Taryn is excited for 50 flavors of erotic love. Yep, 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 yep. Taryn's going, hey, David, <laughs> nice to hear this. Let's get into the sex. Come on, David, let's move. <laughs> so let me, Taryn, I'm sorry that I'm I'm holding you up. I promise we'll get to it. <laughs> we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. <laughs> Okay. So the 3% rule of dating, what we teach people is I want you to write down every deal killer. I want you to write down everything that's never worked with you in the past about the people that you've dated. I want you to write about the things that you know would never work. So like today I'm talking to a guy and he goes, I met this awesome woman, but I cannot do young children. She has a four-year-old. I, I, I can't date her. It's a deal killer for me. Yeah, I, I work with another person and, you know, we talk about traveling. This is funny. It's come up several times, you know, that this woman says, I am so sick and tired of everyone saying the only way you really know you're alive in life is if you're traveling to these exotic locations. I'm really happy in my house with my job, with my pets, with my friends. I want a relationship, but I don't need to be in Singapore every month. And she meets a guy that loves to travel to Asia every couple months. 
And she said, it's a deal killer. I'm not yeah. taking two weeks every couple months, not getting paid, traveling with you. Yes, it's an exciting lifestyle. Yes, it's great. You'll find another woman who yeah. likes that. Yeah. Not but it's me. not for me. So when you write your deal killers down, you should be able to find out within 60 days. It yeah. does this person have anything that will not work for me long term. And then here's your next option. You can either end the relationship and just go, you know, I don't think that we have the level of connection I would like. Or you can say, listen, everything about you is awesome. It really is. But the only thing that doesn't work for me is, let's say, chewing with your mouth open or when you snap gum in a movie. Or, oh. I mean, it can be simple little things that might. Yep. Leaving help. a toothpaste cap, the cap off the toothpaste. No, okay. Whatever or, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and you say, would you be willing to change this? And if they say, I would love, you know what? I needed to quit smoking anyway. I'm going to quit smoking. I needed to quit drinking anyway. I'm going to quit drinking. I needed to cut back on my travel. You know what? I'm so glad you brought it up. I need to be around more anyway. And if they're willing to change on their own, yeah. Not just because you're asking them, but they go, you know, it makes sense. I really have needed to do this for a while. Then the relationship might work. But guys, here's the biggest mistake men and women make is they start to justify and rationalize. Well, yeah, he does smoke or yeah, she does spend a lot of money and she doesn't have it, but I can help them. Yeah. I, I, I can I can help them change. Them, I can help them. I can do this. I can do that. I mean, you I can change them to a better person. Yeah, I think so. You do, you do kind of do that to each other in a relationship. It's yeah, but that's 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 but that's not a huge change. I can't I can't make my husband turn white because I want him to be white. No, it just doesn't work that way. That's that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Okay. So if you have a but like our our viewers and listeners should be writing down if they're single right now what their deal breakers are. You should memorize it. And I don't care how many great characters. Wait, Bob's downstairs going. I don't care how many great characteristics they have. If they have a deal killer, it's going to be very difficult. You yeah. know, now there's some couples that are opposite religion, opposite political, opposite everything, okay. and they find a way to negotiate. Yep. Right. And so, but you have to do it right away when you very yeah. first start dating, not six months or a year down the road. Right. Yeah. And you don't want it to lend, end up in resentment area. No. I changed no. for you. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then get it thrown in your face. Absolutely. Which happens constantly, right? Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to it. It's not, you know, but you do work through these things. All yes. these issues, which is the, the, the key thing here. It's, it, it is a relationship guide. It yeah, Gina. You, you know, one of the things that we say to people with the book is that if you read a book, you have the potential of 10% change. If you read a book and write through the exercises, you have about a 70% chance to change. Now, that's only if you want to change. Because if you write honestly in the book, you will be shocked in, in the Love and Relationship Secrets book that Gina has all up. Okay, Taryn, right on. Okay, perfect. So Taryn says one of her deal killers is no physical attraction. So if you're with some guy and he makes $100 million a year, now Taryn's going to go, okay, no, wait a second. If he makes a million, <laughs> <laughs> she'll go, wait, you know, her, wait, okay. Her boyfriend's very attractive. Yeah, oh, he's looking great now. You know? <laughs> he's very attractive. But, but, you know, if you have that as a deal killer, I don't care if they're a Nobel Peace Prize winner. I don't care if they're the Dalai Lama. I don't care who they are. 
if you don't have that connection and that physical attraction mm -hmm. is really important to you, you cannot stay. Exactly. It's that simple. Right. You're you right. know, and that's not shallow. Let me mention something <laughs> about Sharon's. You know, some people go, oh, that's so shallow. Everyone's different. There are some people that are extremely visual. There are some people that are extremely empathetic and great listeners. And if you're a very visual person, you're going to be with that individual for a number of years. Hopefully you better like what they look like. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, that is true. And and or you know, someone could be gorgeous younger. You know, looks aren't going to last. So you want to build a relationship that is on you know not based on how you look, you know, or physical attraction. Well, you know, if you have a just a quick, a, just hey, a quick hi, we have a new listener. Hi from Brazil. Hi, hey Fernando, how are you? Welcome, welcome to our madness. Yeah, you're just in time for us to take a break. We are going to be taking a three minute little commercial break. When we get back. We will be doing the other side here. And I 50 flavors of erotic loves. Yes. I do still have one more question about um, the, the other, about your courses. And we will talk about that and how you can sign up for your courses. We'll make sure we get that in um, when we come back. But we are going to be talking about the 50 flavors of erotic love, leaving the vanilla world. And this is where Mama D blushes. <laughs> so okay. as soon as we get back from the break, that's up. Fox Den is now proudly sponsored by Vortex Ghost Gear, one of the leading fabricators of paranormal equipment. Bob Christopher is the founder and creator of Vortex Ghost Gear. He has decades of investigating, starting with his team at NEPA and as lead in the popular local TV show Ghost Detectives, he has experience of how spirits could be seen or heard. Using this knowledge, he has manufactured equipment for specific scenarios of spirit manifestation and communication. He is the only manufacturer of the popular lifelike trigger prop cats and dogs. Using proximity meters wired to lights and sound, these prove to be highly effective communication devices in the field of study. The HTO, another Vortex exclusive, allowing specific items to be the highlight or trigger of your investigation. For example, place the item on a metal tray or attach directly to any metal object such as keys or glasses that continue to go missing or moved. Ask the spirit to touch the item. The HTO will light. It has a sound option as well. This device was used in Travel Channel's Ghost Nation with great results. The dome, a static detector, can be the most useful device in your gear bag. This is to back up the theory that the spirits manifest using static electricity. Using several, you can track a spirit, for example, walking down a hallway, setting off each as it passes. The geophone detects vibrations. This is another way to track movement. If a claim is footsteps in the hallway or stairwell, set the sensitivity and place the device in that area. Its band of lights will show a range of vibrations from the slightest tapping, lighting only a few lights, to the loudest thumping, lighting the entire range. The EasyScan Ghost Boxes are very popular due to the ease of use. They are custom decorated to the individual or team using them. Bob programs and uses an Arduino-based computer scanning FM waves to potentially communicate with the spirit realm in real time. Every box is unique and all custom hand decorated by Gina Bankston. 
the VPod has a special place for those who love the idea of REM pods. Use this sleeker, smaller, easier to transport device. It is a must have in your gear bag. Take your investigating to the next level with many of Vortex Ghost Gear's unique and custom creations by Bob Christopher. Visit www.vortexghostgear.com to view all the products and get your equipment today. You can also investigate with Bob and Gina with Ghostly Excursions, taking people to some of the most haunted locations in the USA. Visit www.ghostlyexcursions.com and join us on our next adventure. Now we are going to the other side of the fence here on 50 flavors of erotic love, leaving the vanilla world for ecstasy. So David, <laughs> what what made you write this book? This is probably one of the greatest books that I'll ever write. Um, 23 years ago, I was introduced. There we go. 23 years, 23 years ago. I saw your arm. Okay. 23 years ago, I had a client come into the office and present something that I had never been exposed to before. It was 1997. She came in and she said, you know, I've been married uh, for 10 years, we have two kids. I've got a great husband, total type A, a driver, a worker. He has several businesses. He does great with finances. And I think I may have to divorce. I think there's something wrong with him mentally. And so I said, well, you know, tell me what's going on. Well, it took her a couple of weeks to really come and be honest. But basically it was this. She goes, you know, I'm used to him being very dominant in the bedroom. I'm used to him taking charge and doing the things I like. And all of a sudden he said to me, I want you to start nurturing me. I want you to penalize me if I don't do something good for you. I want to turn this into a different type of sexual relationship. I'm bored being the leader. I want to be the follower. I want to be submissive. And so she came in in 1997. She goes, I think he's mentally ill. You know, <laughs> and seriously, you know, if you, I mean, we're only talking 23 years ago, but. You know, guys that would cross-dress in 1997 were looked at as a mental illness. I mean, it was looked at as, you know, and and it's not. Even now, today, it's still, some people think it's a mental deficiency. Yeah, and and it's not. Those who think that have the mental deficiency. Right, and and if anyone needs help with it, let me know, because, you know, it's all, it's a bunch of nonsense. And listen, we are run by the masses. We are not run by individual thought. So when the masses get together and claim that red wine is great for your heart and alcoholics go out and drink red wine because the masses have said it's good for your heart, that's how we get in trouble. So if the masses Such if the masses you. say that, <laughs> that was cute. If the masses say that a guy who's cross-dressing is whacked or, or, or a guy that wants to be submissive is whacked, they don't understand human nature and yeah. they don't understand individuality. You know, we know now that those are not abnormal for some men. And normally what it comes down to and what it came down to with this guy, because I ended up working with them both, is that he had no maternal connection. So he had no nurturing growing up. He was never hugged, cuddled, et cetera. So now he's probably about 36 at the time. He's realizing he's missing something huge. 
that he wants the opposite that he never got. He's tired of being in charge. He's tired of being the master. He's tired of being, and he wants to be taken care of. It, it took about eight weeks of working with her to get her to try. And so I said, let's negotiate. You know, let, let, let's say that you do it once a week and let's just see how it unravels, you know, because you may find that it's not as terrible as you think. And he may find that he's gotten, he's getting exactly what he wanted. Eventually we ended up going to a three, two schedule where three days a week, he would be submissive and two days a week, he would be quote unquote normal vanilla sex, but he never wanted to go back to being the leader in the bedroom or the dominant. She fell in love with the new role. She fell in love with being the leader in the bedroom. She fell in love with everything. So that's how I got involved um, in the world of dominant submissive. Now, Taryn just yeah. said, I'm very dominant in my everyday. Yeah. So during sexy time, I'm very submissive. And Taryn, that is so common. Yes. That is so mm -hmm. common. And, and this is where I wrote the book. Now, listen, you know, you mentioned before, and TJ Toriello says that our book, 50 Plus Flavors, is, is 50 Shades of Grey meets therapy. It is, too. It is. It is. All, it's all stories of, of you know, um, real life people's stories, submissives and doms and, you know, what they've gone through and how exciting it is for them. And, you know, their transformations through that. Absolutely. Falling in love again. You know, it, it's incredible when you read the stories in my book and there are these client stories that go back 23 years. It's absolutely stunning how many marriages we've saved, relationships we've saved when people start to add a new spice to their current relationship. Now, a lot of people are threatened. You know, their partner comes to so we've been teaching this for 23 years. You know, I work with women who want to be submissive. I'll work with women that want to be dominant, men that want to be dominant, men that want to be submissive. You know, whatever it is, we work with everyone. Yeah. But the, wild, the wild thing is, this is normal. Um, yeah, you know, Taryn, it would it does turn a lot of women off. You know, there, there's a woman I just had, um, and I just started working with three weeks ago. Her last boyfriend wanted to be submissive and she tried for six months and it wasn't her. And so she had to end the relationship. And that's fine. Not every woman would want to be dominant. But let me tell you a story from the book that was quite interesting. A woman came in and she wanted to be trained how to be a submissive. Now, when I train people how to be a submissive, there's no physical touch. There's no sex. It's all mind work. So I took her through the eight-week course, and she freaking loved it, learning the terminology, learning how to be super submissive in bed. How to, now, and I want to make this comment. A dominant and a submissive in a healthy relationship are equal partners. Right. The submissive has the power of seduction on her side. Okay, that's her power. That's how she can be an equal to a dominant man in a relationship. And they should be dominant. Now, my book is very different because we say that the dominant should worship the submissive, which most books like this, you're not going to read that. Yeah. And we say the submissive should obviously worship the dominant. If you have two people playing different roles, one's a dominant, one's a submissive, but their goal is to worship each other, you have what's called heaven on earth. Yeah. It is unfreaking believable. But there are roles. I mean, yeah, it's trust. Though. It's huge, huge trust. Huge trust. So let me go back to the story. So the woman ends the eight weeks. She's thrilled to be submissive. She gets into a relationship and she realizes this ain't me. She comes back to me and says, hey, I tried this submissive stuff. It sounded good in the beginning. I realized that I'm being submissive when I really want to be in control. Would you take me through your dominant course? So I take this woman through our eight-week, 10-week dominant course. The submissive always has the power. 
eh. it should be equal. Yes, yeah, equal. There yeah. should not be one person that has the power ever. If that, that's called an unequal relationship, and you're going to have bullshit and chaos and drama. You don't want bullshit, chaos, and drama. If like if a dominant is so domineering that the submissive doesn't feel listened to, respected, you've got a crap relationship. And that's the way most dominant works. Most dominants are really lousy when it comes to creating a good emotional connection. Now, we say in the book, it should be consensual. So let's say that you're not into anal sex, but your dominant is. The dominant should say, I want to do this. And you should have the right to say, you know what? I'm really sorry. That's a deal breaker. I can't go there. A submissive should have a voice to say no. It needs to be consensual. Now, this is the reason why this book is sold so hot already. And it's only been out six months because it's the newest way to look at a very healthy way to have a relationship. Oh, safe words are great. You need that. You really do, you know, um, yeah. and a safe word should be f- preceded by a, 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 a conversation. conversation. <laughs> Mama D, I could not find that damn word. <laughs> so you had as dominant. You would never take a submissive into the bedroom and start to try to perform oral sex or, or anal sex without you beforehand saying, hey, today, part of the scene, part of what we're going to do is I'd really like to do. And if they back off and go, I'm not ready for that, the dominant needs to respect it. And then in a non-intimate setting, talk about, would you ever be interested? How can I show you without pain? What can I do? Regardless of what we're talking about. Listen, without a sub, the dumb can't exist. Damn right, we got power. Oh my <laughs> god! You know? Yeah, but without uh, without the dumb, we can't be exactly. The, the sub can't be what they want to be. See, and that's why it has to be equal. There has to be an equal distribution of power. Now, it's a power exchange, okay? And you can reverse roles. Well, that would be called a switch. So anyway, there's so many great things. I know, right? I know. I know. Go ahead. We won't even try to finish this story. (laughs) So she comes back and goes through the eight-week dominant training course. She gets done with it, and she goes, this is who I am. She finds this very successful attorney, and he says to her, I have been with a dominatrix, but the dominatrix is too rough. I'm looking for a sensual dominatrix. And my client went nuts. She, and in the stories I wrote in the book, she would tie him to the bed. She would tease him and get him so turned on that his hips would be bucking up. Like she's barely touching him using a feather on, can we say words like anatomical words or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would take a feather and run it inside his thighs, around his cock and balls, and then up to the nipples of his chest, right? Driving him nuts, but he's restrained. And then she would walk out and watch a television show. <laughs> yeah. He freaking loved it. And then wow. she'd come back in 30 minutes later and she would allow him to release. And after he released, he would worship her. They would make love slowly, passionately, but he got her or she got him so geared up that he said, now it's my turn to worship you. Like he loved the restraint and he loved the teasing. And now these relationships aren't for everyone, but let me tell you something really interesting. Most of the women that got turned on by 50 shades of gray are highly conservative, religious women. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's surprisingly sure. You watch if you watch the crews that would go into the theaters. When Amen to that. Out, it was just like holy, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that. You would think like, oh my god, there's gonna be a bunch of goth dressed women right. running in there. No, not at all. Oh, and, and now they can get it on Netflix. Yeah, I know, right? Now, here's the only thing I'm going to say about Fifty Shades, and I just had this conversation with a submissive I'm training. Fifty Shades of Grey is the worst example of the dominant submissive lifestyle that you could ever imagine. <laughs> okay, people, so mark, mark, mark it down. It's erotic, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's filled with chaos and drama. The books yeah. in the movie are the same. They're filled with chaos. Anastasia is what we call a submissive brat. Okay, so she's submissive until she doesn't want to be. Yeah, well, I love Christian Grey yeah. too. The the thought of him, you sure. know, what he stood for, how he was, because he's a damn attractive man, and you know, right. and everything, and and you know, that's the movies, that's Hollywood, right? Yeah. You know, but you know what's horrendous was Anastasia, because she did what's called topping from the bottom. So a dominant is called the top. The submissive is called the bottom. Now, there's thousands of different definitions, but for this case, this example I'm going to give. So the dominant is called the top and the submissive is called the bottom. When a submissive agrees to do something, she needs to follow through 110% or she shouldn't agree. Mm -hmm. In Fifty Shades, Anastasia pushes back all the time. She's what we call a submissive brat. Some dominants like that. They like the challenge of someone changing their mind. Now, I'm a dominant, and in my intimate relationships, there's no way in hell you're going to be a brat with me. You're not going <laughs> to say yes and then change your mind 45 seconds later. You'll be out the door in a heartbeat. A dominant should not put up with a brat unless you like brats. And if you're a dominant and you like the challenge of some snotty little brat girl, go for it. I think it's a pain in the butt, and I want a submissive who truly is a submissive. Hmm. I like want someone, you know, yeah, and you I don't want to reel someone in. See, when you're no, really, yeah, it is what it is. It's that's the relationship. And if this is the relationship that you're going to have, and you talk about it and you go into it and you know your role. Yeah. And see what the way that they created that chaos and drama is, is that's like a vanilla relationship for God's sake. People changing their mind, arguing over little stuff. In a pure dominant submissive relationship, now it's going to take a while to get it down, about a year to do it correctly, but there shouldn't be pushback. There shouldn't be topping from the bottom. The dominant should not have to reel the submissive in unless he wants a submissive brat. Anastasia is the classic example of a submissive brat, and I just think it's a pain in the butt. I think women like that or men who would be submissive and be a, a topping from the bottom, I think they're just a pain. It adds chaos and drama. The dominant submissive life should be really awesome. They should be on now, the same page. What oh. about what about these? I love collars and chokers. When you, yeah, when you get when you get these, right? Collar is like talk a wedding about, band, isn't talk, it? Talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So there's two different things here. Uh, what what you have in your hand could be a collar, but I look at that as a choker. Okay. Yeah, it's a choker. It is a choker. So you put it on, and it might have a clasp for a leash. Right. Okay. And and then when you look at I'm trying to think if we have I usually have one. I don't have one in front of me. A collar is is totally different than a choker. A choker is show like some chokers will say submissive. Some chokers will say owned. Some chokers will have all these different terminologies. Some words I won't use on your show, even though I know I can. But a collar when a 
Okay, then I'm a brat. You might be, Taryn. Yeah. Yeah. And then she says, but I want to be Queen B. <laughs> <laughs> you so, are the Queen Taryn. You are, so hands down. <laughs> when, when, when a dominant is in love with a submissive, there comes a time when they do a ceremony called the collaring. Mm -hmm. And the collar can be, it should be worn 24 hours a day. And in the beginning, most submissives, because they're conscious about being in public with some huge <laughs> collar on, they'll want something highly delicate. One of the best places to get individually made collars to prove your submission to your dominant is Etsy. Etsy has some of the most beautiful submissive collars. Etsy has everything. They have <laughs> something for everyone. They do. It's great. So when a dominant and a submissive fall in love and they decide that they're going to truly be monogamous partners with each other, the dominant then buys the collar. The collar is like an engagement ring. Mm -hmm. He puts it on her neck and it'll have symbols that every dominant in the world knows what it means. And it means hands off. Don't flirt with her. Don't talk to her. She's taken. She's owned. She's my submissive. Mm -hmm. And it's a powerful powerful thing for a woman to wear. She is saying, I surrender to my dominant. I'm wearing this as a sign that I'm taken and I'm his. It's a beautiful thing. And it's just like a, uh, an engagement. A wedding band. For me, it's like a wedding band. Yeah. It, very similar, you know, but, and, and then you can go up to a higher level. And when you go to a point where we'd say the dominant marries the submissive, mm -hmm. normally the collar becomes much more prominent. Okay. I mean, it's very large, very thick. And she wears it 24-7. And now she has to have the confidence. Yeah. To because wear. You're, you're see, you figure, you figure. okay, example, you know, I'll say me this time. I used Gina last time. Bob's like, what? Okay. <laughs> if, if I chose to, to become a submissive, somebody, probably not my husband because he'd kill me. But, you know, it's, I can't, I'm where I work in the public. You know, a submissive works. Yes, you, you, you're, this is something you're going to kind of announce to the world. You know, and some people are not ready for it. So you can everywhere. Mama D, if you go on Etsy and Google submissive day collars, they're freaking gorgeous. You would yeah. not know it's a submissive collar unless you're in this life. Mm -hmm. You would have no clue at all. They'll have an infinity circle, right? Well, infinity circle just means that I'm connected to you for life. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, but but it's it's a form of commitment. But in the beginning, the day collars are so feminine and so gentle. No one in the world knows that you're collared except for another dominant or another submissive. Right. That's amazing stuff. That is amazing yeah, stuff. It's fun. Um, all right. But what is because you, you keep saying vanilla relationship. Vanilla relationship is what um, in context? All right. So we talk about in our first book that we discussed that 80% of relationships are dysfunctional and unhealthy. Uh, that's basically the vanilla world. Okay. Most people are in vanilla relationships. And what it is, is that there's a lack of honesty in the vanilla world. People don't say what they really want sexually. Yeah. You know, they, they don't say like, they don't come out and say, God, I'm really bored with our sex life. Or I'd like you to do oral sex on me differently. Or we're only having sex once a week or once a month or once every six months. Like in the vanilla world, we don't know how to communicate. We're afraid. We're filled with shame. We're filled mm -hmm. with guilt. You know, sex is, it's kind of funny. You know, sex is for procreation only. When we have 
2.8 million conservative religious women buying these books. I, there's something about the books. Yeah. Harlequin in one year oh, sent yes. 20, sell 22 million erotic books in one year. See, yeah. there's a need for this. The yeah. vanilla life sucks. When people are introduced <laughs> to this, I swear to God, now, you can be vanilla, and as long as you're open and honest and your needs are being met physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, fine. But there's not many couples that speak so openly in the vanilla world. In the DS world or the dominant submissive world, you have to speak honestly. And with the right dominant, a submissive will blossom into this incredible sensual machine, and the dominant will blossom into this incredible sensual machine. And what we say is, and I, we write this in the beginning of the book, this type of life demands such open communication that the love runs so damn deep. It is incredible what happens when people tap in. Right, right. And and when you find that partner and someone that you can trust like that, uh, the, it, the sex is so much better. Oh, my you God. Know? I mean, it really is hands down. Like, you know, a former, things, things that you like, things you don't like, you know, um, those types of things. I mean, and why, if you're in a relationship with someone, why can't you talk to them about this? This is, you know, <laughs> this is why you're in a relationship, you know, and, and, and the point, and, but I hate braggarts too, though, you know, like the ones that will say, oh, well, you know, we do this all, all the time, you know, to their friends or something. It's like, yeah. hey, you know, like they have to prove themselves the the man or the woman because you know well we have sex so many times and we have this and we have that it's like so what you're a couple yeah you having sex we know you having sex you're a couple right? you should at least right? you should, yeah you should be right um but you know i don't need to know all your details unless you really uh did something you know like i should try you <laughs> let me know <laughs> well, you know, in our book, we have, I mean, there are so many stories of relationships saved, but then we have like a list of about 70 different ways that you can enhance your intimate connection. And you've said that a few times in the book. <laughs> oh, many times. We keep repeating that because we want people to circle those things that they're interested in, right? right. Listen, and for all of our viewers, you've got to read a former submissive of mine wrote her introduction what it's like to be a submissive. It is one of the most powerful things I've ever written or read. I didn't tell her what to write. You know, we were together for a number of years and then something came up and she had to go to a different part of the country and she's obligated, she can't return. So we split amicably. I, we just texted each other today. We're still best friends. But she wrote the forward to the book and it's mind blowing. She had no idea. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, you wanna hear details, Taryn? Okay, let, let, let me give you some details. So, and I'm gonna tell you a story about myself and my former submissive. So we get to a point where that she would orgasm over the sound of my voice. And I tell a story in the book of what happened. So she's out West and she's coming to see me in a couple of days. Uh, and this is before she couldn't come back anymore. And she's driving in her car and I call her and I said, um, I'd really like you to pull over. And she said, okay. And I said, I want you to leave the car running, put it in park. And she said, yes, master. And I said, I want you to think about the last time I was with you. Do you remember what I did? And she said, yes, master. I said, tell me what I did. And she went into this incredible detail of, we had this amazing experience. And then she said, oh my God, master. And I said, that's okay, you, you go, go right ahead. And she orgasmed in the front seat 
of her car <laughs> without touching herself through my voice. And when you have that kind of a connection, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's psychological. And one of the most beautiful things about my relationship with her is that whenever she was gone for two days, she would call up and within about a minute, she would orgasm. And that's the type of relationship we want people to know is possible. And now it's not just about the orgasm or just about sex. It's about the connection. If you can orgasm over the sound of your partner's voice, you have an immense connection. Right. And that's pretty cool. It, it definitely is. It definitely <laughs> is. You know, I mean. Taryn, I didn't hear from you. You just told you a great story. She's listening. She's just listening. I don't know. She's never quiet. So I'm I know. Sure. I'm surprised. We I'm just. Sure it, I'm sure it's coming. It was the sound of your voice that just made her quiet. <laughs> So is Taryn taking care of herself right now? You never know. We, we don't ask questions here. We're the only three on camera. That's all I got to say. I don't know. I don't know. Details, Taryn. No. It's, it's quick for a quote here. She's intently listening. I was intensely listening. I love it. Okay, let me mention something for dominance. Okay. One of the most important tools or a dominant to learn is how to delay his orgasm right every dominant the sound of your voice taryn we need to meet <laughs> every dominant should learn how to be able to delay their own orgasm as long as they want to or need to in other words one of the ways the dominant serves the submissive i, I keep talking about this worshiping so in 1991, I met a sex therapist who took me through a program on how any man could follow what I'm doing. And I talk about it in the book. Any man can do this. You can train yourself to not orgasm for an hour or two hours while making love. You have that power as a man. Look at Mama D going, whoa. But when she taught me that, it changed everything, as you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are some women that, that need a lot of foreplay and a lot of penetration or a lot of clitoral stimulation, and it might take them a long time to orgasm. Well, if you're a dominant man and you can withhold and allow them to reach their highest level of ecstasy, just think of that connection that you're creating. You know, the, the woman that's going through my submissive course right now, one of the biggest complaints she had is that these guys that she's been dating, dominance that she's been dating, it's all about their orgasm. And once they come, then they go to sleep or they go eat or they go. And that is not a dominant submissive relationship. To me, the best one is a guy that knows how to hold his release, to bring her to places she's never been, and then to come. You know, and when you have that kind of relationship, forget it. You're not going to want to leave that person. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know? But then, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, um, there's only two people I've ever been with that this has happened with, you know, like the, the multiple orgasms. And it was my late husband and Bob. Right. And and otherwise, it's like, you know, it's it's tough. It, it's a tough thing. But once you get to that point and you're at that, like the the orgasmic mind, you know, yeah. and then it's like. You know, men say, oh, I have to stop. I have to wait. I have to, you know, rebuild and stuff like that. Well, you know, women kind of have to do that, too. We have to, like, mentally get over that so that we can do it again. You know, and but, you know, obviously, yes, we can do it faster, which is nice. But 
I don't understand how this type of thing would work in a dominant submissive relationship like if they're saying you know is it okay for you to you know go now go again go you know what i mean are you gonna hold them back are you gonna just let them go i mean it's like and this is this is a a big part you know we, we if if we're familiar with um with edging um, the power of the sub is that they're able to mind fuck the down, but in a subtle way, allowing the down to think they are. In, I, I don't believe any of that. Um, so anyway, okay. just take that down. That's, that's not accurate. Um, but what, what we want to do is we want these people to come together in such a way that their needs are both being met. If someone's needs not getting met, there's going to be resentments, whether we're talking about vanilla sex or the DS world, there's going to be resentments. So when individuals are able to see that my role as a dominant is to bring my submissive to places she's never been, and the submissive, my role is to serve my dominant in a way he's never been served, now we've got something to work with. Now, let me talk about edging because this is an important part as well. So for people that aren't familiar, edging is when you bring yourself close to orgasm, but you do not release. So you edge yourself up and then you stop. So one of the things we teach in our courses is we teach the dominant how to edge the submissive, but then deny the orgasm. Now, some people would say, oh, that's cruel. You bring someone right to the edge and then you- No, no, uh, no, no. I can, I can, I can understand this one too, because, you know, sometimes you can get, you just can't get over that edge. You know, um, you get to that edge and and then it's like you just stay there and then you still can't release. If you get to that edge, you come back and then go back up to there. You you can't. Well, and when you edge correctly, the orgasm will be 10 times as strong. And that's the beauty of edging, you know. So now here's a power play, right? The dominant gets the submissive all excited and then says no. And they get them all excited and then they say no. See, this is part of the power exchange. Yeah. And then they get excited again, and then they say, now you may come. Now you may release. Well, the submissive goes absolutely nuts, whether it's a guy or a woman. They've been waiting and wanting. You've got them edged and edged and edged. And now they're fully in your hands. And it's a beautiful experience. You know, it's absolutely stunning. Um, Some of the funny stories in the book, though, are about, like, CPAs. I've got a great story about a CPA. You know, his wife was going to leave him because she was so bored with their sex life. He came or she comes into me and says, you know, I think I want to divorce my husband, but first I want to give it one more chance. I want to take your course. I want to learn how to be an awesome submissive. And I want to see if I can turn my husband on and turn this marriage around. Because right now we have sex once a month. It's boring as hell. It doesn't do anything for me. I've tried to talk to him, but it's not working. So she comes into the course and in the course, we teach everything from erotic makeup to erotic clothing uh, to wearing latex suits, to you name it. There's a thousand things we teach people. So she, he knew she was working with me. Now, she didn't keep it a secret. She goes, I'm going to this counselor. I need to try to figure out some way that I can feel satisfied in our sex life because I'm not feeling satisfied. And he said, fine, go for it. Well, this is what happened at the end of eight weeks. She gets all excited. She's taking notes. She's buying stuff. She's going at home. She's got all this stuff. And all of a sudden, she comes home one day and there's a note on the bed from her husband. And it says, I'll be home at this time. I want you to take a shower. I want you to put your favorite perfume on. There's new lingerie in the closet with six inch heels. Put everything on and then look underneath the bed. 
pull out a tray. There's going to be four or five objects on the tray. Take the objects you want me to use and leave them on the bed. Put the blindfold on, get in bed, and lay there until I come home. So she's in bed. She's you know, got the lingerie, the heels. She just showered. Her hair is done and all this kind of stuff. And she hears him come into the room. Now she has blindfold on, right? So she's anxious. She's nervous. She has no idea what he's going to do. So he comes over and he takes the feather and very similar to what I said about what the woman did with the guy. He starts to run it up her thigh, gets right to her groin and pulls away, then goes around her nipples and pulls away, goes down the side of her neck and pulls away. And then he does this. He leans down in her ear and says, I have read every note from your sessions with David. I have read all of your fantasies and your desires. And from tonight on, every one of them will be fulfilled. Wow. You are mine. You're not going anywhere. You will do what I say and you will be happy, more happy than you've ever been in your life. And she said she's listening to him and she's gushing. I mean, she's just <laughs> right. Basically, right? She everything she's ever wanted. But she had no idea he was reading the stuff. And so he was trying to keep up with her because he didn't want to lose her. And and it's just there's a, a hundred stories like that in the book, you know, of how we. Now that, 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 to get away from the sex just for a second. Sorry, people. But um, counseling wise uh, for people coming to sessions with you. And you say, too, that you want to talk to them separately. Yes. You know, not together. I mean, I like the way that you put that. You know, you can argue at home. You know, you don't have to come. Yeah. And argue yeah. We, we do couples counseling, all singles. You're right. All, all individually. Yeah. So that's a that's a, a good. That's great. And then to, you know, because you're yeah, separately together. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be honest, too. Yeah, because you're going to be able to feel safe enough. Sometimes the, the woman or the man, whichever was it was called the woman, because that's what I am. The woman doesn't want to say stuff that she feels in front of her partner, in front of her husband or boyfriend or whatever, wife, whatever. So this way, with your counsel, you have, you're able to just sort of like say everything without the, the person in the background. Oh, you know, like that. Type of thing. So D, you want that. You want me Mama to do D, That is the most important thing for listeners to understand of why we do marriage counseling one-on-one. -on -one. I want the woman without any shame or guilt or fear of pushback to be able to say everything in the world she needs to say to me without any fear that her husband is going to go, oh, my God, that's sick. Or I'll never do that or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And then I want the husband to be able to do the same thing. I don't yeah. want any embarrassment. You know, so if a husband comes in and says, um, I want to be submissive, how do I even do that? He may yeah. not say it in front of his wife because he doesn't even know. He, he's thinking he knows what he wants, but he doesn't really know. He's never experienced it. Right? Okay. But he may not say that in front of his wife because he may feel that she'll reject him. Or maybe he'll come in and he'll say, you know, in the very first story in the book, Gina, I don't know if you remember this, but we talk about a couple that had been together and they're going to divorce. And so I worked with the wife and this is a really fun story. And I said, OK, get your husband's buy in and this is what you're going to do. And here's the story. So a guy walks into a bar, he grabs a drink, and he walks over to a table and sits down by himself. He's like, awesome. Everybody should do this. Yeah, everyone should do this. This is so cool. So he goes in and sits down, and he has a drink, and he's reading the paper or something, and it's a casual hotel lobby bar. So about a half an hour later, this woman walks in, dressed very seductively, really low-cut, 
lots of makeup, earrings, jewelry, looking just gorgeous. Of course, the bartender goes nuts over her, right? So he's talking to the, the bartender's talking to the, the woman. And all of a sudden she goes, is that guy over there in the chair by himself? And he says, yes. And she says, do you know if, if he's married? I, and he goes, there's no ring on his hand. She goes, okay. So she sits there and she has a drink. And then she says, um, I'd like to buy that guy over there a drink. And the bartender goes, really? And she says, yeah, I, I want to buy him a drink. And he goes, okay. He walks over and he says, this woman over there would like to buy you a drink. And the the guy pulls down a paper and he goes, okay, uh, I'll have this. You know, no real big, like, thank. and then he just does a little wave. Thank you. But no real overly expression, right? So he goes back to reading his paper. He gets his drink. The woman orders another drink. And then she decides to walk over. And she walks over and sits next to him. And he says, hi. And she said, hi. And he goes, what's going on? And she said, well, I just wanted to see how you are. And and all now, the bar is filled. Everyone's watching this woman walk over by herself and hit on this guy in the chair, right? So all, I, and you could just imagine the bar talking like, oh my God, look at that woman. She pulls her shirt down even more. So now she's got a push-up bra. Her breasts are showing. She's looking quite erotic. And they're chatting, but not really saying very much. And then he looks at her and goes, it's time that we leave. And he says it loud. He goes, I think it's time that we leave here. I think it's time that we get a private space. Now, everyone's hearing this, right? They get up and they walk out. And, of course, you can imagine the bar probably is applauding by now. <laughs> you know it. Okay, they get in the car, they go home, and they make love, and they're husband and wife. Right. And they had totally oh, lost their stuff. Well, I'd like to see that um, one more. Oh, yeah. I, I, he he yeah. wanted the button down. Yeah. One he more. wanted one more button down, right? Did it, yeah. And, and she would do anything he said at that point. But what had happened was they had been married for so long, they had no interest in each other. They were both on the cusp of having affairs. They were bored as shit with each other. And then I give them this exercise and now they're all over town. Like they go everywhere and they do the same thing and it <laughs> creates passion and they feel connected to each other. They are a hundred percent monogamous. And, and I want to make this point too, because a lot of people look at the world of the dominant submissive or BDSM um, as swingers and open relationships and all that, you know, the odds of a swinging relationship be where you're with a committed partner and you're having sex with others lasting more than two years in a healthy way is extremely tiny. Now, you're going to find exceptions to every rule. But since 1997 to today, most swinging couples or open relationships implode because of jealousy and insecurity. And I tell stories in the book about, you know, I've had men and women that they've come in and say, can you teach us how to be in an open relationship? Well, sure, it's pretty freaking easy, you know, but I say, but here's the trouble is that one of you is going to get insecure and jealous and it's going to blow. Oh, no, we're both so secure. And then six months later, someone gets incredibly insecure and incredibly jealous and the relationship blows up. Now, I don't tell people not to swing or not to be in open relationships, but that's not my work as a counselor. So we don't talk about it in the book. We just say the odds of it are so small, I'm not even going to go into it. And that's the truth. You know, yeah, right, right. the book is, is really a monogamous book for people that want to create a deeper psychological, spiritual, emotional, and physical connection with their partner. Ooh, <laughs> that is hot. That is hot. 
But you know, going back to the, the, the guy that had said something before about the woman being submissive, faking it as a power play, I forget what it was, but that's not what we're about. That's not what the DS. Uh, the power of the sub is there, able to mind fuck the Dom, but in a subtle way, allowing the Dom to think that, no, we don't want to allow the Dom to think they're in control. Yeah. They are both in control. The woman is the seductress. If we're talking man, woman, the woman's the seductress, the, the submissive, the man's the dominant. We want them both to see that they have control. Mm-hmm. It's not faking it. It's not making someone feel like they're a dominant when you really don't think they are. See, that's the insanity that comes in to the DS or the alternative life. We don't want that. We want honesty. We want a woman to connect. Yeah, more, it's a more committed relationship. Totally. Yes. Than totally more committed, you know, because you're ripping open your heart and you're saying, I've never done this and I would love to do this with you. And your partner says, God, I'm not quite ready yet. Okay. What about this? What about this? You know, what have you, what have you never tried that you fantasized about? Well, that's it. Now say, okay, now you got all these people cooped up because of COVID, you know, and they're all cooped up together. And instead of the same old, same old, same old, what what can people do that they, you know, they don't want to go to this extent. Get the book. Get the book. Look, what, let me, do? let me find this. This. I was this. looking for it in audio book, by the way, David, so I could just listen to you. <laughs> yeah, you know, the problem with that is that we have too many people stopping and orgasming while they're listening to my voice instead of re- listening. <laughs> so we don't want to have that happen, you know? Taryn. <laughs> Taryn, I hope you heard. <laughs> um, well, you know what I would say is that if someone doesn't want to go into this life completely, but they want to play around a little. Mm-hmm. All right. So in, in the, you can't see this, but in the book multiple times. Yeah. We have something called 50 plus flavors of erotic love and like 75 examples of what you can do to spice up your love life. Right. Um, so we have blindfolds. We have silicone clothing or latex clothing. And I, I got to tell a story about a former girlfriend. This is before I got into the, the dominant submissive world. So I'm dating this girl for about six years. And most of us are raised with shame and guilt around sex, talking mm-hmm. about sex. You know, we're all raised with this freaking shame and guilt, which is what I love about the DS world is that we throw all the shame and guilt away and we just talk. But I wasn't yet aware that I was a pure dominant and I was in the vanilla world dating a vanilla girl. We had a great relationship. We were together for a number of years. And one day she walked out of the restaurant. I brought my car around to pick her up and I see her silhouette in the moon. And I go, oh, my God, like she is so gorgeous. You know, her breast, her hips, her waist, everything was just amazing. So we get home and I go into the office and I send her an email. I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't say it. I was I was too afraid that I might be rejected. But I thought, you know, if she rejects me in an email, I'll figure out a way to deal with it. And I wrote a story about her and what happened to me that night when I saw her in the moon. And how I fell in love totally at a deeper level than I ever thought. And I love her breast and I love her waist and I love her butt. And I went into all these specifics and I've never said any of this to you. And I need to finally get it off my chest and be a man and share what I'm feeling. Well, she had two choices. She could read it and reject me or read it and go nuts and want me more. Thank God the second happened. <laughs> and she comes up to me and she goes, I can't believe it. We've been together for all these years and you've never said a damn thing. And I said, you know, I've been so ashamed feeling I might be objectifying you 
She goes, objectifying, you can talk about any part of my body. And if you're telling me you love it, I'm your girlfriend, for God's sake. There's no objectification. You have a right to tell me that you think my ass is perfect or my whatever. And then all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes, we need to start having more fun. Now that you're being open, how would you like to see me in a latex suit? I go, are you kidding me? You'll do that? We ran to the store. We got a latex suit. And that started this amazing connection that, you know, the relationship eventually ended. But that was my first entree into what they call kink, if you want to use that word, or, you know, alternative sexual activities. So in the book, you know, we put all these different options you have. Um, you know, I mean, what page is that on? <laughs> Many pages. It's on 43. The first time it, it arises is 43. <laughs> it's repeated and repeated and repeated. Yeah. You know, oh, erotic pictures. We have couple stories of people on the verge of ending their relationship that started taking photos of each other making love so that they could have this vision when they weren't together of their partner, you know, and then they would look at the photos before they get into bed and they would get all turned on. We have couples that do videos of themselves making love and they watch them and they get so turned. There's a couple that says we can watch the first 30 seconds and we're already having sex. Like <laughs> it's so fun to see these pictures of us doing this stuff. So there's a thousand in the book. There's a thousand examples of how you don't have to go into the DS life, the dominant yeah. sense of life. You can add kink and variety a little bit at a time. And in the book, you have 75 options to choose from. What's that, Gina? And build up trust with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the best thing to do, and I say this all the time, you read these books and everything. But if you read the book and you try some things, you go, God, I'd really like to get into this life. Work with someone. You know, yeah. really yeah. <laughs> an effort out there about working with someone like myself that does this work so that you can enter it in a consensual way. I'm going to keep using that word consensual. I do mm -hmm. not believe in forcing a partner to do something they don't want to do or they're afraid of. Everything is consensual. And you may decide to work with like me or another counselor and say, hey, I want to really understand. Am I submissive? We can tell you in two weeks if you're a true, pure submissive. We can tell you in two weeks if you're a predominant or Gina, you mentioned this earlier, you might be a switch and a switch is someone that decides with their partner that this day or this week, I'm going to be the dominant and you're the submissive. And next week you'll be the dominant. And I'll be the submissive. The percentage of switches is very small, pure switch. Most people either want to be submissive or want to be in control. You know, they it, usually they're either dominant or submissive, but we can tell you in two weeks what you are. I mean, we've got the formulas down. It's pretty easy to figure it out. And then it's up to you if you want to go into the training and to become a deeper submissive or a deeper dominant in order to create. And, and this is what I find in the dominant submissive life. People who are that open and that honest will never have an affair. People who are that open and that honest will never go behind their partner's back and even have an emotional affair. If, if you're that open and honest... Love you, Jojo. Oh, Jojo, thanks for being with us. Shifting a 16 hour shift. Holy yeah. cow. Yikes. That's long. That's real long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, if it's a 16 hour shift in the dominant submissive world and you're with your partner, that's not long enough. That's not long enough. We need about 18 hours in order. <laughs> well, yeah, jo Jojo, there's there's a lot of 
points in this book that I that are like specifically geared towards you that I'd love to talk to you about at a different time. You know? Yeah, no, sure. She's gone. Talk to David. You talk to David. Yeah, it's you know it, it's fun and exciting, but one of the things I, I'll tell another story. Do we have time to tell more stories? Okay. Oh yeah, the boss is here. <laughs> okay. All right. So there was there was a woman who um, became a sex addict, and I love this story. So she came to me. She was a, a high ranking professional in a hospital system, vice president. And had done amazing work. But over the course of about six months, she was showing up to late, late to work, three to four days a week. And the president calls her in and said, you know, you've been with us forever. You've done incredible work. But over the last couple of months, I'm seeing you're checking in at 9.15, 9.30. You know, we're always here at 8. Like, if you don't pick up your game, you'll be let go. And she was so scared and shocked that she called me and said, I need to work with you. I might lose my job. So for the first couple of weeks, she didn't tell me why she was late. So we're working on time management and everything. And then the third week, I go, hey, wait a minute. Why the hell are you late? And then she says, okay, I'm going to tell you why I'm really here. I have a sexual addiction. And I can't leave my house in the morning until I come multiple times. So I have male friends that do phone sex with me. I'll go on to porn. And until I get that final orgasm, I can't, I'm addicted. I can't leave the house. So I get in late. Wow. So we worked with her and we shattered her sex addiction and it was really destroying a lot of her life. So we got her all cleared up. All of a sudden the boss is like raving about her again of how great she is. And then she comes back to me and says, okay, I need to work on some other stuff. But what we found out with her sex addiction, it was caused by this. When she started growing breasts at about 11, her father would make fun of her and would not hold her anymore. He was embarrassed that she was growing breasts at 11. It was a highly religious household. So she had to wear clothing all that covered her entire body. So she became so filled with shame and guilt about her body and about sexuality that she never dated her, her family wouldn't allow her to date in high school. She could never date. She could never do anything. So she, when she got to college, she became a promiscuous slut. Her words, not mine. She would sleep with anyone to get back at her father and to get what she had never had. Right. Mm -hmm. So she realized that her addiction was caused by the shame and guilt and the embarrassment that her father caused her. So we were able to clear all that up. And then she came back to me to learn how to date. And she said, David, all I know how to do is phone sex and masturbation. I haven't been in a relationship in years and I want to learn how to date. So I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to learn how to be open and honest with men. You're going to learn how to talk about your sexual desires and the challenges you've had in the past when you think you're going to move into a monogamous relationship. And I always tell people, don't spill the beans. It's not on the first date. Not no. until you know you're going to go somewhere with this yeah. person. So every time that she would get close to having a guy, and she usually had a 30-day rule, that she would date a guy for 30 days, and she would not have sex because she wanted to see if they were a good fit. So she would be dating these guys, and then she would think that she had found the right one, and they would only want missionary sex, and they didn't want any variety, and they didn't want, and now this woman knew a lot of variety because she had been doing these things for so long. So finally, she said to a guy, I've got to be honest with you. I would really love to be with you and I'd love to make love to you, but I have to tell you some things that all these other men are rejecting me by. And she was honest. She goes, they're rejecting because I want to talk openly about sex and they have hangups about sex. 
I like to do things different. I like variety. I like these fun things. Well, she finally found someone that she could talk openly about sex with. And there, and I worked with her over 10 years ago and they're still together today in this most incredible monogamous relationship. So I share that story in the book because a lot of people are raised with shame and guilt. A lot of parents will not talk about sex other than saying it's bad. Yeah. No, my mother wouldn't even talk about tampons for Christ's sake. She's like, hey, read the box. <laughs> like, no. You know? I know, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so why we have so much like a addi porn addiction, we have so much sex addiction. It's because people have never been taught about their own sexuality, about their own needs and wants, about how to speak without shame or guilt. And the book teaches you how to talk about your desires without shame or guilt. It talks about, it gives you exercises. Like we have exercises in there where we ask people, if you're in a relationship, to write down the things that you would always want to do, but you never have. And then you share it with your partner. You know, another story that comes to mind for single people, and this is a really interesting one. A woman approached me 150 pounds overweight. She had never dated a person. She had never kissed a man. She had never been in a relationship and she was about 40. And she came to me and she said, David, I've read about your course about how to teach people to be dominant or submissive. I know I'm a submissive at heart. Is it even worth working with you since I've never kissed a man? I'm 150 pounds overweight and the odds of finding a man to love me are so little. And I said, wow. absolutely, it's worth it. So we started working together. And the first thing, she had never worn lingerie before. So I said, you need to go buy lingerie and take a picture of yourself in it. I want you to buy a collar because she wants to be submissive that says submissive around your neck. In other words, I want to start getting into her head that even though she's overweight and has never kissed someone, that she can be a sensual, erotic woman, right? So then she got heels. And then and then all of a sudden she gets satin gloves, right? And she's seeing herself in the mirror mm -hmm. and she's seeing herself for the first time as a sensual, beautiful, sexual woman. And wouldn't you know it, she, we do eight to 10 weeks together and then she's done. And I said, look, it, what you have to do is keep this mindset. I want you to take pictures of yourself dressed in these different outfits. I want you to love yourself. I want you to fall in love with your sensuality. Mm -hmm. And about four months later, she meets a guy, very average build. He falls head over heels about her. And they finally are going to go to bed and have sex. And she goes, I don't know if this is going to bother you or not. And he goes, what? And she pulls out the collar that says submissive. And she goes, I'm a very submissive woman. And she goes, he almost jumped out of his clothes. And he goes, I've been looking for you my whole life. It is, so it's, sweet. And it's so gorgeous, right? And it was because yeah. she, she took a risk. She learned to love her body as it is today mm -hmm. with lingerie, with heels, with, oh, she didn't even hardly wear makeup. All of a sudden she's wearing this erotic makeup. And for all of our listeners, you know, mainly women, that are looking for erotic makeup, go to Pinterest. Yeah. Oh my God, Google erotic makeup. Go to YouTube, Google erotic makeup tutorials. Anyone can learn this stuff, you know, and like have fun with your beauty, have fun with what you're doing with your partner. And the story with the woman who's overweight that became this glorious to her boyfriend, she is worshiped. Mm -hmm. She is a sex goddess as a submissive woman he looks at her as a goddess and he is the dominant without a doubt. 
and she'll put the collar on and he'll put a leash on her right away. And they have all of this fun that she never thought was possible until she opened herself up to the course that we teach. That's pretty amazing. So how, yeah. how do people get this course? They go to davidessel.com? Yeah, if you go to davidessel.com, right on the homepage, you'll see what's happening. It's actually the second homepage. So you go to the first one, you scroll down, it says enter here. You hit enter, and then you go to the second page, and underneath what's happening, you'll see our course on love, intimacy, and erotica. And then when you sign up for the course, we decide, are you dominant? Are you submissive? And then we take you down which path that you believe you are. Um, but that the, one, the last story I just told, you know, I get goosebumps when I sell sweet. it. Yep. A lot of people are going to go, ooh, but I think that was sweet. That's still love. It's beautiful. You know? it's and it's, 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 they're honest with themselves and they were honest with you. She was honest with herself. She finally found out who she was and loved herself. And she found somebody who matched with her. Yeah. I, and when we say match, matched, you know, guys, I swear to God, they're like glue on each other. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and it's been a while and they're just doing phenomenal. That is fantastic. Well, now you brought up makeup. And I just got to say tomorrow, if you want to see this face again, tomorrow oh, yeah. night at seven o'clock, I'm going to be putting on 80s makeup with the Midnight Beauties with uh, Tiffany. You Bell know what? You should, Anne on you should get the Midnight Beauties one night to do it right makeup. And oh, to do what? Erotic makeup. Oh, yes. They do, they do movie themes. They do everything. So, but tomorrow we're doing 80s. So, hence, I have a. Yeah. A you got to, people got to be there. It's going to be good. You're going <laughs> to see what you This is my pal. And, and you know what? Like, and here's something interesting for a submissive woman, like, you just with makeup, you can be outrageously powerful for your dominant. You can get your dominance so turned on, you know, just with makeup. I mean, and this is what I'm saying. You don't have to buy latex outfits unless you want to. There's some really <laughs> subtle things you can do, you know, um, to, to, to. Some of those outfits can be expensive, but some yeah. of them are so expensive. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> even wearing like satin gloves, it's, it's amazing. You know, if you're a woman and you have satin gloves on and you go to stroke your man, trust me. They will never leave. Well, at least until they're they're done. Yeah. <laughs> then they'll go. Oh, I'm gonna go. Well, keep so what you do is you edge them and you never let them come. Okay. Exactly. gloves on. Keep bringing them up. But go. Sorry, honey, not tonight. They have to come back again. <laughs> yeah, Yo, you want to come back? <laughs> now I've got a quick question because you're saying that that if if a woman wants wants to be a submissive or she is submissive and she wants to you know do something special for my for her dominant do they like okay i'm gonna say you're my dominant and i have an idea do i have to discuss the idea with you as submissive and does the dominant get to say yes or no or can the submissive surprise the dominant with something new that's a great question and the answer is this if the submissive knows their dominant really well and they know that what they want to do is not mm -hmm. offensive and will not turn them off in any way. Go for it. Surprise your dominant. Okay. And I'm glad you said this because now what we're, we're done at six in the morning. Is that what time the show ends? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That's what I thought. laughs> okay. I've already had supper. We're going to match JoJo's 16 hour day here. We're going to, we're going <laughs> to, I love it. I love it. Um, Shoot, what, what were we just talking about? Because I know I have a story I want to share. Oh, I know. It, it's about right. the, the submissive. 
we do not want a doormat submissive. Those are the worst submissives in the world. They wait around being told what to do. We want a submissive. Once you get to know your dominant, we want you to be prepared doing how, how they would love to see you when they come home, you should be prepared for them to come home. You know, like the dominant or the submissive should not be a doormat. They should be what we call a proactive submissive. Mm-hmm. Once you get to know your dominant, set things up the way they like it. You know, like go ahead and think for them. But to go back to your other question, Mama D, don't surprise them with something that they've never said that they liked or they never said that they wanted. That's yeah. where you talk about it outside the bedroom and you say, you know, master, I was thinking about sometime maybe doing this for you. Would that excite you? Mm-hmm. And then you can do it six months down the road once they've forgotten about it, right? But okay. but never try to surprise a dominant with something that they are not aware of because now you might be turning into something that they're not looking for. Yeah. Now you've said this word a couple of times, master. Um, yeah. I don't like that word, but I also know that there are other words that people that, that the dominant will accept. Um, and that, that was sort of leads into my next one. There's master, of course, there's sir, and then there's daddy. So yeah. what's the difference between a daddy dom and a dom? Well, it depends on the psyche of the daddy dom. It could just be that the daddy dom is someone that wants uh, an individual who has a younger mindset, not a younger age, yeah. but a younger mindset that'll do everything daddy says. So they're looking for the deepest submissive. Daddy Dom is looking for the deepest submissive possible. Someone that will jump when they say jump. And and it's almost like a father figure in a way, although I'm Mm -hmm. not into that age type of thing. You know, but it's that kind of relationship between a father and a daughter. You're going to do what I say. Why? Because I'm your father. Okay. That's the Daddy Dom, Right. right? The dominant may have the same approach to it, but... The nor- I don't want to say normal, just a dominant is going to always be in charge, but they don't have to have a submissive that's going to just roll over and die for them every time they say jump, yeah. right? Like that's kind of the difference. The true submissive though has got to be a proactive submissive. I want to yeah. go back to this, right? They, they, they can't wait around. Now in the beginning, you need to be trained by your dominant. So you mm-hmm. do the first 30 to 60 days, you want to pay attention, ask questions, would you like me to do this? Would you like me to do that? But after that 60-day training period, you should know enough about your dom that you do it without them even asking, without them even telling you. You know, I'm um, going back to terminology. Master is one of the most popular ones. Sir is hugely popular. Um, the daddy dom is massive. And there's a lot of women. And we'll, now I'll go into a little bit of psychology here. There's a lot of women that never had a positive male role model, a positive father figure, and they're 50 years of age, just like the guy that didn't get nurtured by his mom that wanted his wife. So there are women that never had that strong male role model that never corrected them, put them in their place, told them that that's incorrect. And they want that guidance. They want that kind of father figure guidance that they never had. Now, there's nothing wrong with that psychologically. You're getting yeah. needs met that you never got met in childhood. Yeah. You know, so I don't look at it as a counselor as weird or wrong or anything. I look at it as, thank God you know what's missing. Thank God you found a partner who's willing to give you what's missing. That's a beautiful thing to me. Yeah. 
Okay, so if a man is called a daddy dom, what is a woman called if she's called a mommy dom? The mommy dom doesn't sound. Oh, you know, now it, it, it's usually they're called a, a female is called a dominatrix, right? Or a dominant, or a dom. She may be referred to as madam or mistress. You know, like the, the women have a different terminology, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of dominant women that will say, you're going to call me mistress in public. There's a lot of dominant men that say, now that we're connected and committed and I have you collared, you'll call me mad. I mean, I've had several dominant uh, submissive women that called me master everywhere. Okay. We would be in the store and they go, master, should I pick this up? You know, and that's after we found this incredible bond. She was collared. And that was the role she wanted to play. Now, that doesn't mean that any submissive I'm with has to call me master in public. It's a matter of us negotiating, talking, but at some level down the road, it's going to come up. And I tell them that. And it may be two years, three years, or four years, who knows? But Mm -hmm. there will be a time that I'll say, we are so connected. Here's your next jump. The bar is going to go up a little higher. And that's the role of the dominant. The dominant needs to constantly bring the bar up. So that there isn't boredom, complacency that you see in the vanilla world. Right. Right. That could happen there too. Because then you can same old, same old, same old. Exactly. And it's vanilla all over again. But you keep saying communication, communication, communication. I mean, and we've been saying that too. Yeah. So communication, trust. I think those are the two top things. Yeah. um, In this whole scenario, this whole. And it's not role playing. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Wow, Gina, that's a huge statement you just made. Okay, now there are some people that role play and once every six months they want to do this and that's fine, right? Or once a month they want to do it. But what we're talking about is a a true lifestyle. You know, it's 24-7. And there's something in the book we write about called TPE, which means total power exchange. Ultimately, all really good couples in the dominant submissive lifestyle want to admit that it's a total power exchange, that I'm surrendering to you. The submissive is surrendering to the dominant. And the dominant is saying, I accept your surrender and I am your protector. I am your guide. I am your mentor. I am your owner. And that word is very powerful and it's used all the time in the DS world, you know, that the dominant owns the submissive. And the submissive, the correct submissive, would love to know that their dominant owns them. It is a rite of passage that could happen in the first two weeks or it may be a year. But there comes a point where the dominant will say, you are mine. Now, going back to the collar, the cool thing about the collar is it shows this person is owned. She's off the market. You cannot talk to her. You cannot touch her. Now, A guy that doesn't understand the dominant submissive world that sees a collar that says I'm owned without it saying I'm owned will, of course, not know and he'll hit on her. And there's nothing. Yeah, but those will be the ones that will hit on a married married woman, even when they see the wedding band. Thank you very much. Whatever you're wearing, you could have a freaking corset on your waist. You could have a beehive keeper face mask on and they're going to hit on you. You know, it doesn't matter. There's some guys. They see the girls and they're like, whoo-ha. I know. Female species, I want you, <laughs> you yep. know, type of thing. Yep. Yep. But, but, you know, we're really looking now at this whole thing that this lifestyle that, I'm, that we wrote about in the book and everything is becoming so hugely popular. And some people go into it with the wrong intention. Some people, saucy, saucy, saucy. tonight. Amen, Ashley. <laughs> um, you know, 
people go into it now with this. I've been in the vanilla world for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The, re the relationships all sucked. I never got my needs met. You know, one of my submissives that I'm training right now, now this is so sad. In the last 10 years, she's been with three men and they have never cared if she's ever orgasmed or not. Wow. They don't care. They don't talk to her. They don't ask, are you satisfied? They don't ask anything, right? She went into, she went through the training. I've got her in training right now. She's met a guy and the guy knows everything she's going through and he can't wait. He just cannot wait. And what he sent her a text the other day saying, uh, you know, you told me for the first time that in the last 10 years, you've never orgasmed with a guy. Ugh, yeah. And she goes, and he said, I'm reading the book that David wrote that you're reading in the course. And I will promise you, I've also bought the book by Barbara Kiesling, how to make love all night long. And I'm practicing the edging techniques so that when you're out of the course, I'll be able to make love to you without release for as long as you want me to. And what was the name of that book again? <laughs> <laughs> how to make love all night long by Barbara Kiesling. And I talk about it in my book. Barbara's the one that taught me it. I mean, she is off the charts amazing. That is pretty cool. That yeah. Cool. Maybe we'll get Barbara. If you can give, give us a good word there, we'll get Barbara. Oh, Come on. Oh, yeah. Get the two of you on here. She's then we'll incredible. just sit back and watch it go. <laughs> I love it. Saucy in the den tonight. That's right. <laughs> well, it's a special Valentine's Day. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's about, and the thing is, it's not just about sex, it's about love. That's the foundation. Yeah. Everybody yeah. thinks that it's, you know, a Dom sub, there's no love, but there is love involved. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not, ah, I love you. But, you know, well, there's I a major trust bond there. There is. And I use the word throughout the book constantly, worshiping. Mm. How many people in the vanilla world look at their partner and say, I worship you. I want to worship you. Well, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> What's that? How can you not? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Mama D. But it, it doesn't happen in the vanilla world. No. But in the DS world, you're talking about worshiping each other all the time. You know, I mean, it's just common terminology. Yeah. And when you say those words to your partner, it brings you closer together for God's mm -hmm. sake. Listen, the most powerful sex organ in the world is your brain. your brain. The DS lifestyle taps into that most powerful organ in a way that is healthy, respectful, consensual, monogamous. It's it's everything to me. Yeah. This lifestyle is everything. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that, <laughs> and uh, and and we see it a lot. You know, it's funny. It, it, we just I watch these shows on TV. There was a nine one one show, uh -huh. and oh, yes, uh, I know what you're talking about. If there was a, a a dominatrix, she was on the ground and she got stung by bees, and he was all tied up. You know, he was in the but he was able to call nine one one. He had his phone somehow. I don't know how he called. No, he used he used technically the the uh, echo dot. I'm not gonna say her name. You know. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. yeah, you have one. Right. She has, she'll go nuts. There was some way that he, he got through to 911. Yeah. And he was just like, they're like, well, you have to get out of the thing. I can't. You know, because he's uh, he was the submissive. And then she realized what was going on. And then she turned it and she flipped the switch and became his dom. The dominant. And and he had to really bang his shoulder, he had to dislocate his shoulder so he could get untied, so he could get an epi pen and save the girl, you know. And then 
and then she was like, "You're gonna thank me when you're done." And blah blah blah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like everybody, everybody that was in the nine one one office was just mm -hmm. all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Looking at her, uh, listening intently, and then she gets done. She's like, "What?" <laughs> no, when when regular TV shows are showing the dominant submissive life. That should tell us that it's here, yes. it's huge, it's massive, and it's what people want. Yeah. That and here's, an, here's another thing that people will, will mis misunderstand, is a submissive is submissive to one person, not to everybody. If you know, example, say I'm a submissive, right? And somebody finds out and they say, well, I'm gonna walk all over Mama D because she's yeah, a submissive, y'all wrong. A, he or she is a submissive to one person and one person only. That's right. Exactly. And that's what we continue to promote in the book. You know, and, and I, I love the word monogamy. I, I mean, I really do, because it is through a monogamous relationship that you can create the deepest trust, the deepest love, the deepest communication. It's really hard. Now, there's a lot of polyamorous people, which means that they're looking for multiple partners. And yeah. there was this huge article written out in Seattle not too long ago about a, a polyamorous couple, which is three people. And it was a woman with two male lovers. And they took turns. One guy would be sleep with her one night, and then the other guy would sleep with her the next night. They were, they were a family. You know, we look mm -hmm. at it as a polyamorous family. They had committed complete monogamy to the three of us. The men were heterosexual, so the men did not have sex with each other. But they were talking about the incredible benefits of a polyamorous relationship. And I will say it's on the outskirts. You know, I mean, well, that's where more Mormonism began, right? In the beginning of Mormonism, it was all about polyamory. Um, there are some people that can pull that off. It's very difficult. I've worked with several polyamorous couples, three it's really, really hard because of insecurity and jealousy. You know, but you can try it. But once again, I'd really be educated on it before you go into that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, because I can't share nothing. <laughs> I don't expect me to share my mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't like. I got. A, I got a shovel ready for any woman who tries that. <laughs> Big backyard. No problem. Try it. Oh. Gina will be up here in seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> 7.7 hours takes me to get from here to, and, and I, Does I it? even stop at the border. <laughs> but I, I hope people, you know, who are on the edge will grab our book, 50 Plus Flavors. Um, if you're past the edge and you know that you want to do this work and you want to really get into it, read the book. Um, and if you want to work with me, the book comes with our course. Uh, all of our relationship books come with that course because we really we don't just talk about sex. You know, the being a dominant or being a submissive isn't just about sex. There's a whole world that is so beautiful in that format. Uh, and that's what we love to teach people. And we like to get rid of some of the insanity like the Fifty Shades put out there about this pushing back and arguing. And Yeah, but you know what? It, as as and, and here's the thing. What we're all learning, we're going to I'm going to. Yeah, what we're learning is is not not only just in that category. It's like you know, people who are watching the the paranormal investigator shows have finally realized it's just a show, it's entertainment. So the the Fifty Shades was entertainment, but the thing is, it opened the door for a lot of people to say, Absolutely. you know what? Hey, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to be like you know, but I'm going to try that. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like you said, there's a lot of like that hoity-toity women. Do you have a you room know? like he has? You have a room? Oh, oh, that's a great question. So. 
a dungeon is a abnormal part of the dominant submissive relationship. In other words, it's like 10%. Mm -hmm. It's not the normal, like the restraints uh, that you would use to tie someone to the bedpost. That's common in the DS lifestyle. But the dungeon and the whips and the chains and all that kind of stuff, that's about 10% of the dominant submissive world. It's not that. But And that's one of the reasons someone said, how come you didn't write about dungeons in your book? I said, because that's not what our life is about. That's not what, you know, 90% of couples in the DS lifestyle aren't into dungeons, whips, and chains. Mm -hmm. So we wrote for the 90%. Yeah. And also having, a, as you call it, a dungeon or a separate room could also be because the couple whatever, may have children. And that's not where you want your kids to go. Your yeah. life is open enough, but you don't want them to understand. You know, you don't want to have to be able to hide everything every time, you know. So you have that room where you can hide stuff and the kids don't have the key to the door, you know. You're good. <laughs> you have no, a at the end. It's so like little Jamie comes in and hello, mama. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if you have the extra room, yeah, a ball gag. Yeah, put a ball gag. On. <laughs> See, people swear to put that on me just to shut me up. Like, <laughs> you guys are a trip. Angel. Right. Well, we 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 make it easy for people to accept it and not freak out. And if they're freaking out, bye. Well, yeah. Because it, it's part of life. Yeah, well, you said it at the beginning. Like I, in my video that I made for you, was you know you're bringing couples back together, couples yeah. on the brink of divorce, couple that that are what that are relying more on pornography. They're eliminating pornography. They're getting back into the, <laughs> yes. their soulmate. You know, yeah. people grow apart. It happens. You it know? does. The honeymoon phase. You know, those things that you were saying, all the couples get together, it's the first 25 days or the first 30 days or the first 40 days. That's still the honeymoon phase. That's right. Yeah. Not blatantly honest with people. You know, it's after that, you know, or or even after when you move in, finally, that you get to really see who the the true person is. And that's right. You know, and then do you still want to pursue the, the, you know, the conversation to have to get to that intimate level that you're at, you know? Yeah. And that is it. So that's a, that's a way step above the regular vanilla relationship. Oh, yeah. it is. And, and, you know, the, the, one of the things we teach and, and we do it in a lot of different ways is how to stay connected uh, emotionally and erotically during the workday, how to stay connected if one person's out of town, how to stay connected if one person. And so we teach like the importance of erotic texting, erotic email, erotic voicemails. You know, I'm going back to the submissive that wrote the introduction to the book, which, again, you guys have got to read the introduction to the book. She wrote in the most eloquent way, but she was the type of person that I could leave her a voicemail. And she would orgasm listening to my voice on the voicemail. And my voicemail was nothing more than I want you to stop. I want you to spread your legs. Excited, you know. Uh, and and she and so by the time, like, listen, by the time she would get home, and when we were together, I mean, she was ready to rip my clothes off, you know, because she was, and I was ready to rip her. Clothes. It was like, you know, that that yeah. that synergy, the patient, the everything. It's Absolutely, you know, yeah. Can I ask a favor, David? What's Sometimes that? what I do is when I have people's books, is I I write a uh, like a paragraph and pop it into my my facebook page sure would it be okay with you if i took like a paragraph or two out of out of the submissive 
intro. Sure. And popped it into it. So if anybody wants to get an idea of what yeah. David's talking about, and it is, it, it's, it's nice. Okay. That's yeah. all I can say. It's really nice. Beautiful. So I will pop you in a couple of, in the link of this show, both in Facebook and on YouTube, Perfect. I will pop a couple of paragraphs into the, to the comment sections. That is beautiful. I have her as well. I, I love what you're saying, you know, because there's a lot of women that are, have never been satisfied sexually. Mm -hmm. I mean, this breaks my heart. There's a huge percentage. What's that, Gina? me. Oh, there's a huge percentage of women like the, the dominant that wrote the, the opening, my former submissive, I'm sorry, that wrote the opening to the book. She had never had more than one orgasm at all with any man she was ever at. The last time we were together, which was five years ago, it was common for her to have 10 to 15 within a 30 minute period of us being together. They would just roll one after another. Now, I know, right? Mommy's blushing again. <laughs> it's incredible. It took us 60 days exactly for her to get to a place of trusting me so greatly that all I had to do is say, it's time. I want you to come now. And she would. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. And, you know, and now we're just friends, but we talk about those times, you know, and she shares like what's going on with her and I share with, but we talk about how amazing it was. And now we, we were together for several years. Now when she meets a new dominant, she's able to tell him right away, like, listen, this, I can come very easily if you can get to this state, I can do this. I, like she knows her body so well. Right. That she can express because the thing that look, a dominant should always be asking questions like what turns you on? What have you done in the past that you like? What have you done in the past that you don't like? Vanilla men should be asking these damn questions for God's sake. Right. But the people that really do it well are in this lifestyle because they know it's important to get to know their partner on the deepest level inside and out. Because when you can win this, you want it all. It doesn't yeah. matter what age you are, no. or, you know, or how you look or how you feel about yourself, because you're going to be made to feel beautiful no matter how you absolutely yeah. put on a few extra pounds. We all put on, we have COVID pounds. All right. Yeah, right. We got them. But you know what? I think this is going to be our highest listened to on Anchor. Yeah. If they don't listen to it, if they're going to listen to this and they're going to come over to YouTube, sign up and check it out. But I think um, this is going to be, should be, I'm going <laughs> to hype the heck out of it. Yeah, good. So, But if you are listening on our Anchor Venues, which will be out tomorrow, um, please go over to our YouTube channel, The Fox Den with Gina B and Mama D and watch the show. So you exactly. Because Mrs. Gina makes me do all the work. <laughs> <laughs> You'll like it. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> hey, Matt. All right, guys. Well, I've got to actually get going. I know. It's got to be pink, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But Thanks I a lot, David. This was great. I just love this. And I, I love that you guys are so open minded. Your questions are phenomenal. Um, your interaction with me has been excellent. I, and I really appreciate you both. You know, you're both very smart, very talented in what you're doing. And we're getting a message out there that yeah. so many men and women need to hear yeah. to be able to change the dynamics of our crap relationships in this country into something worthwhile. 
<laughs> that's that's the technical term, the corrupt relationship. <laughs> that's right. So you sure. heard it first. So that is awesome. No, thank you again very much, David Essel. Our second time having him back uh, in the Fox Den. And yes, we will have you back again. Yes, David's become our addiction. <laughs> Next time he's bringing the chocolates. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. So everybody, I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope you learned a lot. I hope you learned a lot about a different lifestyle. Um, if you, you know, again, here are those books. Okay. Love and Relationship Secrets. Seriously, it's a workbook. It's a reading workbook. You know, you learn a lot. 50 Flavors, uh, what we've been talking about for the last hour and a half. And that is just some amazing stuff, amazing lifestyles, his honesty, his openness. He shared a lot. He put his heart and soul out there. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And we will all see you next week. And if you want to see me put on some funky makeup. Oh, yeah. The 80s look. 80s. Yes. Tomorrow night on uh, Midnight Beauties, 7, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Midnight Beauties on Facebook and I think Tiffany Bath on I mean, on Facebook, Tiffany Bath and Midnight Beauties on YouTube. Oh, you know I'm going to advertise the heck out of that. <laughs> yeah. So we don't, no makeup first. <laughs> and then, and then That's we'll why I want to be there. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you again, David. This was wonderful. A lot of thank you, David. Oh, guys, this was fun. And we'll come back anytime you want me. Aww. Awesome. All right. Fun enough, thank you. you again for joining us for another episode in the Fox Den. We're here every Thursday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, bringing you a variety of guests, streaming live on Facebook, YouTube, and our anchor venues. We would love it if you would go to our YouTube channel, The Fox Den with Gina B and Mama D, and please subscribe, share, and definitely hit the notification button to never miss a show. We'll see you all next week, and subscribers, watch for our pop-up shows as well.